Hello there, Kansas City. Stephen St. John here with the latest episode of Hot Mike with SSJ. Of course, I always want to thank our wonderful sponsors, including Patrick Carter, KCFarmersAgent.com. Don't go with some voice on a 1-800 number from outside Kansas City that uh, they don't know shit about you or the town. You got to go local. KCFarmersAgent.com. Patrick Carter, he loves this show. He loves Kansas City. And if you are his client, he will love you. Also, CBD American Shaman. I've been told the website CBDAmericanShaman.com. I remember that one, didn't I, Ben? (laughs) Fuck, I'm good at this. CBD American Shaman. All the products are wonderful, including the edibles and the pre-rolls and the vapes and everything that you could possibly want at CBD American Shaman. And we'd like to welcome a new sponsor of Hot Mike with SSJ, uh, KC Grilling Company. You can get more information uh, at kcgrillingco.com or give them a call at 913-393-1506. They're located out in Olathe, Arbor Creek Village, and uh, just off 159th Terrace. What a great place out there. Everything that your backyard cook needs for his project. Uh, they can install your outdoor kitchen. They got a great selection of delicious meats for grilling. It's a grilling and smoking all service, full service store in Olathe, kcgrillingco.com for more information. And so well, we're excited to have our guest uh, this week. We have uh, former Chiefs wide receiver Mark Richter who's joining us. Mark, uh, good morning. How are you? I'm excellent. How are you? This is, uh, this is appearance number two for me on the show. Yeah, but this is about you. Okay. This is different All right. now. All right. Okay. You I just... noticed there's nobody else in here. Right. Me. So it's right. like one on one. Todd's off doing some shit in his office. But this is, I've, I've been wanting to do, uh, you know, uh, these origin stories yeah. about regular guests that we have on the show. And you've been, how long have you been a personality on Sports Radio 810? Um,. Well, I've known you guys obviously since I was playing, yeah. right? On stuff. Oh yeah, that's right. And came on uh, then a little bit, but when you say personality, I think this will be my eleventh year here doing the Chiefs pregame shows. And so, because Lecky and I split it for a couple years, right. At first, and then yeah, but I think this will be eleven or twelve for me. Yeah. So when you were playing, yeah, I was I was uh, working on. Uh, Jason Whitlock's yes. neighborhood. Yes. So that would have been uh, my first exposure to you, and uh, and so now you're a regular guest on the Border Patrol, and like you talked about, uh, pregame show for our Kansas City Chiefs coverage, and and so people know you obviously from being a wide receiver with the Chiefs. But let's let's go oh. back. Let's we'll go, go back. Let's like start. You, you know me when I was like the great white hype, according to Whitlock. That's, that's right. That's what I was. That's that's there what, we go. That's there what I was is. known in the neighborhood. Then that's right. So well, let's start before <laughs> then. Where where were you? Where were you born? Where were you raised? All right. Uh, I was born in Sioux Center, Iowa. Um, so uh, I guess not. I don't consider myself a native Iowan. No. But but my uh, my father uh, was the head basketball coach at Northwestern College in uh, Orange City, Iowa. So I was born in in Sioux Center. Uh, spent a little time in Spokane, Washington, as a kid, um, and then back in Iowa, and then uh, moved to Colorado for about seven or eight years when I was uh, like a kindergartner through fourth grade. So you were born to a basketball coach. Yes, I was. And so you're a man of good size. Yes. When you were a youngster, were you a good basketball player? I was pretty decent. Yeah, yeah. I was born into a family of good genetics. So. 
my grandfather, my dad's dad, was like six foot four, and his two brothers were all like six eight. Damn. Yeah. So we got a lot of height in our family. What about also. athletes? I know you've got you got some athletes. Yeah. In your so my mom's, or excuse me, on my dad's side, uh, my dad's mother is the sister of uh, now Hall of Fame uh, baseball pitcher Jim Cott. Oh wow. So. I've got a baseball origin, a basketball origin. Most people around just know me from football, right, on stuff, but grew up around on, around all those things. So then when you were a kid, what was your favorite sport to play? Ooh, good question. Uh, probably baseball. Okay, so you played baseball. A lot, a lot of baseball, a lot of backyard baseball. Okay, so that was your day. favorite, but what were you the best at? Uh, baseball was probably one of my early better sports for okay. sure. And I was a decent basketball player as well. But when did you start playing football then? Uh, I started playing football in about fourth or fifth grade tackle football. We didn't play any flag football in Hastings, Nebraska. Right. Okay. Type of thing. So how'd you end up in Hastings, Nebraska? We ended up in Hastings. So just to back up for a second, when I moved to Colorado, Alamosa, Adam state college, um, down there, my dad was the head basketball coach there. And this is why you're bouncing around because yes. your dad was a basketball yes. coach. Yep. Right. yep. Moving because of, uh, of, of the athletic side of things with him. So he moved to Adam state to become the head basketball coach. Uh, 1981 was when we were there, uh, through 88. And then he became the athletic director there. So I got to ride the bus to a lot of the games, the way games with them, right? Spent a lot of time with them on that piece. And then we moved to Hastings, Nebraska in 1988. So I was a fourth grader right at the end of my fourth grade year when he became the athletic director at Hastings. So that's how we ended up at Hastings. Yes, you're in Hastings. So uh, you, you're, you start playing tackle football. Yes. You know, and I don't know if you know this, uh, football is popular in Nebraska. Uh, I was not aware, but so, yeah, well, yeah, see, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is shit you learn <laughs> on Hot Mike with SSJ. And so then when, did it, when was it apparent that, oh... Mark Bowricher is very good at football. Um, not until later in high school. Okay. Oh, yeah. So I played, um, you know, just like you have uh, KCFC here in, in Kansas City, right? Youth football, uh, tackle football. We had It was called midget football in Hastings. Um, yeah. So we were divided up by school, started playing that. We apologize um, to any little people yes, out there that may have been offended by <laughs> that. But that's just the way I played midget C baseball, but that's just what yes, it is. We so. were uh, – we played football and – um, enjoyed football. I was always athletic, right? I always had really good hand-eye coordination. Um, but I wasn't – I was kind of an average-sized kid, let's put it that way, right, on stuff. And so it wasn't until high school that I really thought that football was something I liked because I was one of those kids that didn't like to get hit. <laughs> okay, oh, really? right? Yeah, oh, yeah, 100%. Okay. And I played eighth-grade football through our school. We ran the triple option at the time. I was the B-team quarterback. Um I don't know why I played quarterback then. I was always kind of a wide receiver slash wing back previously through midget football and stuff. And got to freshman uh, football, played wide receiver in high school, um, was an average sized kid. Uh, went through some growing and pains and injury stuff with my heels back when I was a freshman that, that hampered me a little bit. Um, and, and I was still, I think you know this because we've talked about this, but I, I've... I was still 5'10 as a sophomore in high school. So just an average-sized kid, um, which is I played baseball and basketball up through my sophomore year and football. And my sophomore year of high school, after my sophomore year of basketball season, I decided I wasn't going to play basketball anymore. Um, it was a situation we had three other guards in my class who were really good. Right. <laughs> and I didn't want to be the kid as a senior who – how I envisioned this at the time, Right who's on the bench. I would have been a great teammate, all that kind of stuff. 
But I want to be the guy that came off the bench at the end of a game and just hit a three right where the crowd goes and the student section goes, wow, that just right. wasn't where I wanted to go. Oh, look, it's, it's Mark. Oh, yeah, throw it nice. up. He's, he's going to throw it up no matter what, it's right? Like, nice, he's in the fucking game. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's right. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, hey, he made a basket. Look at Mark. I didn't want to do that. Okay. I did not want to do that. You don't want to so, be Rudy. Yes, okay. I did not want to do that. That's how I envisioned myself right. being, right, at that point. Um, and so at that point I made the decision I was just going to play, you know, baseball and football. And Hastings High School won the state championship my sophomore year in football, 1993. Um, I did not suit up for the state championship game. Um, you know, there are roster limits, et cetera. We were a Class A school at the time. Um, and wasn't really playing junior varsity. You know, we had a freshman team, a sophomore team, and a JV team, and a, and a varsity team. And would would play some JV, but really didn't. I played a lot of sophomore football. And you're still 5'10". So I'm here. still 5'10". Okay. Then. Yeah. So fast forward to the next year, I grow a little bit more uh, on things. We win the Class B state championship when I'm a junior. And I play a little bit on the varsity that year, but mostly played JV. And, you know, we had a couple of really good wide receivers that were seniors. Um, I'm still growing at this point uh, a little bit, but was a part of that team. Got to play in the state championship game a little bit because we had won toward the end, so I got a couple snaps, you know, courtesy snaps like we were yeah. just talking about. Um, and then so my senior year uh, at Hastings, um, at this point I'm 6'3", 185 now. Um, and, of course, I'm hitting the weight room as a part of the program and all that kind of stuff then too. And I get moved to tight end uh, my senior year, which was fine for me because I knew I was going to start. I was the largest wide receiver we had. Our tight end was gone. And so it made sense for me to be the tight end um, at my size. And, you know, we had a good year my senior year. Um, I caught some balls out, you know, as, as a tight end. Uh, one of the best stories I have is in the playoff game in, at Holdridge, Nebraska, where at the end of the first half, we run a play, we run out of bounds, the clock, the time ticks off the clock. We got the ball about the 40-yard line going into Holdridge, okay? But the time click – uh, went off the clock, even though it shouldn't have. There should have been like one or two seconds left. So half of Holdridge's team is running on the field, off the field. They refs bring everybody back out. There's two seconds left on the clock. Our coach, we call a timeout, and maybe it was we called timeout instead of going out of bounds. He comes out in the huddle, and I said, "Hey, let's go wide, Tiger, which is three receivers to our right, and split me out wide to left by myself over here." And I was like, "Have Stevie Jones, who is my quarterback and childhood, really good friend of mine in childhood." Just throw it up to me. I'll catch it. I go, I'll guarantee it. Guaranteed it, oh, Stephen. Wow. So he drops back, throws kind of a Hail Mary to me. I go over two guys catching the end zone for a touchdown at the end of the first half, right? It was at that point for me that I kind of had this turning point of I'm a really good football player. It was cocky as shit to say it, but I was also a lot more confident than people. I didn't show my confidence a lot, right? I think it was more internal on stuff. But did and this I, turn you into an, somewhat of an arrogant No, it, it didn't turn prick. me into an no, arrogant like prick, that. but it, I think for me the turning point just internally, right? Like You know there are kids that have confidence in high yeah. school and everything else, and sometimes there's a play or two that happens that all of a sudden you realize, okay, I'm a pretty darn good player. But it didn't, I, didn't just happen. You said it was going to happen. Yeah. So that, I, yeah. You know. I, I think I had – it was one of those situations I'm like, I'm six foot three. I have short corners out here. Just throw it up. I'll go up and catch it. And I played linebacker, uh, played both ways. Played. I basically never came off the field as a senior. So played all the special teams, cramped up every single game because of it, right, playing both ways. I was a linebacker. 
uh, on defense. And I had some plays during the course of the year that were good too, right? But I think that was probably my high school defining moment play was that one in a playoff game. So were you a, a, a college prospect at all? Was anyone recruiting you at any level to play football? Yeah, so – Recruiting was a lot different back then, right sure. now than it is than it is today. They didn't have huddle. They didn't have huddle. Oh, wow. Yes, who I obviously worked for. They didn't have, um, you know, there wasn't a rivals out there. There wasn't four and five star prospects. There weren't all those types of things. Nobody and, was tweeting out your highlights. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I knew I wanted to go play college football somewhere. Um, I got some letters from the University of Nebraska about being a walk on, but. I was not like every other Nebraska kid, okay? I grew up on Saturday afternoons going to Hastings College football games. Because a lot of kids in Nebraska, any interest whatsoever, even being a walk-on, yes. that's it. Oh, you're gone. You're going to Lincoln Here right I now. Go. Right now, especially back then in the right. 90s, mid-90s when Nebraska was at their heyday for football. If Tom Osborne wanted you to walk on to Nebraska, you were walking but on to Nebraska. But you didn't grow up there, and so you weren't Correct. this rabid Nebraska fan. And on Saturdays, you went to support the school where your dad worked. Yeah, so when we didn't get to this, well, obviously, we said that you know we moved to Hastings because my dad was the athletic director. I grew up around that athletic department, right, going to all the games. I was a ball boy for the football games on Saturday afternoons. So we'd play, you know, go to the high school football game as a, a seven middle schooler on Friday night or go play as, you know, uh, a high school player on Friday nights, which we played in the exact same stadium that Hastings College played in. And I would go, I would be a ball boy and work for my father and work for the athletic program on Saturday. And, and what level was Hastings for people? NAI. NAI. Yep. Okay. So, but still, like like you said, the timing of it. Yeah. Nebraska's the shit. Yes. And so was there of course, at least. And really the shit at that point. Right. Yes. Was there at least party like, oh, shit. Not really, okay? And I say, wow. I just talk about that defining moment for me when I thought I was going to be a good player. I got letters from Nebraska to go walk on. And part of it was because I came on my senior year, right? Late bloomer, coming through high school, good senior year. I've got a good frame at 6'3", 190 pounds now at this point, athletic, kind of coming into my athleticism. But I was not like every other kid that if Nebraska called, you wanted to go there, right? right? And I envisioned, again, maybe this is lack of confidence – but I envisioned a road at Nebraska like a lot of other kids had, where you're a Nebraska kid, you go there red shirt your first year, right? You get your brains beat in, running scout team and everything else. They're running an option offense, and by your, you know, what would be your junior year or your fourth year there, maybe you're playing some special teams, and then maybe you get some playing time as a senior, right, type of thing. And, hey, it's great. I played for Nebraska. I went to a couple national championship games, bowl games, all that kind of stuff. That's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to go play. And so I looked at a lot of the top NAI programs uh, around the country at the time, or regionally at least, because that's where most of my interest was coming from. And so I went to Bethany in Kansas to visit, Bethany College, which at the time in the 90s was really, really good. Uh, I went to the University of Sioux Falls to visit, who had just won the national championship the year before, NAI national championship. I visited Northwestern College, which was my dad's alma mater, and and a place that you know I was born up there. I knew a lot of people um, up that direction as well. And then I looked at Hastings, which we'll get to this, I know, but I decided, you know, at that point, these were these were my options and where I could go play. Um, I was fortunate enough that with my father's role as an athletic director, there were tuition remission schools around the country, meaning I could go to schools tuition free. 
uh, basically full ride scholarship, right, with decent grades um, through those partnerships. And so that's kind of where my focus was uh, on the NAI school, just because I wanted to go somewhere I could play. So you decided, and, and, and you'd grown up, or at least been around Hastings yeah. as a kid. Oh, yeah. And you had some love for the program, and your dad was still there. Yep. And so, and they, some, you know, some kids want to get away from their parents, yeah. get away from where they've been. That was an attraction to you, to, to stay at Hastings? Yeah, it was. And I think, you know, Hastings had had a, a – they revived their football program when my father was there. Um, a head coach by the name of Dan Kratzer came in, took him to the playoffs for a couple of years, and he left. And my dad hired Barney Cotton um, to be the head coach. And his first year there was the fall of 95, so my f- last year of high school. And really liked Barney a lot um, as a head coach. And, and he basically instilled some confidence in me and said, you can play. You can play, and I want you to come here on stuff. And so um, I looked around, and it really kind of came down to me to Northwestern College in Hastings uh, as to where – and Nor- Northwestern was really good at football at the time also. And I just, for whatever reason, felt most comfortable at Hastings. Now, here's the kicker to this. You talk about most kids want to go away from home, right? We live three blocks away from the college campus where I grew up in my childhood home. Three blocks away from the college campus. So I'm the epitome of, like, staying home for school, right, right? type of thing. Now, that being said, I went and lived in the dorms um, right away. And, you know... People would ask my mom a lot, like, hey, it must be nice that Mark's going to college in town, right, type of thing. You probably see him all the time. I never went home. Never went to my house, ever. Ever. I enjoyed the college life at Hastings College. I enjoyed – I made it as far away from home as possible. Now, would I see my father in the athletic department, you know, and stuff? Yes, absolutely. But, you know, I'd still see my mom, too, because she came and worked games for my dad in the athletic department, different stuff, things, too. But I – I kept my home life basically completely separate from my college life. So then you, take me back to Barney Cotton. Yeah. Because that's the Barney Cotton that ended up going to – I mean, he was he was a, he played at Nebraska. Correct, correct, yeah. He was an all-big game player in Nebraska. Yes. He got yes. drafted in the NFL, ends up becoming the offensive yes. coordinator in Nebraska. Yes, And, and yes. interim head coach. Correct. So this, I mean, that's – you know, that's a big name in college yeah. football. Yeah, yeah. At that point, I'm looking, he had – like I said, he was an all-big game player in 1978 – and he was at St. Cloud State yes. before going before to – Before coming to Hastings. And he's been a couple of years in the NFL, so he had a yes. reputation. He's from Omaha. And from Hastings, he ends up going to New Mexico State, then Nebraska as the offensive coordinator, Iowa State. I mean, this was – so he, him telling you, at least as a guy that was a very successful player at Nebraska and 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 a player in the NFL, him telling you yeah. that you – you know Yes. And the offense we ran was kind of a veer option type of offense, not – I shouldn't call it a veer option type of offense. It was an option style of offense, right? Similar to what Nebraska ran at the time. Uh, but we threw the ball a little bit more. And one of Barney's traits that he wanted for his wide receivers were big guys. Okay, So the year before I got there, we had a receiver. Who, actually, he still lives in, here in Kansas City, and Mick Ratzloff, who was like six foot six. Okay, And on the other side was a guy named Brett Rusher, who I played with my entire career, who was like six foot five. And so – me coming in at six foot three, six foot four, we had probably the largest wide receiving core in the entire country of all levels of football, Stephen. Like really, when you look at it. And so, but yeah, he he told me I could play. And then after my first year at Hastings, I played as a freshman, um, right off the bat, uh, a little bit, got in the mix in the rotation. 
Um, he left to go to New Mexico State to be an offensive line coach with Tony Samuel. So we elevated Ross Ells to be the head coach, who was our defensive coordinator at the time. And Ross has gone on to have a tremendous coaching career as well. He eventually left for New Mexico State about four years later. Um, was at Nebraska for a while. He was with Frank Solich at Ohio as a linebackers coach. He ended up at Nebraska after that with Bo Pelini for a little bit. Um, was at Purdue for a year as a defensive coordinator. Was at, with Mel Tucker at Colorado and Tucker's first year at Colorado. Now he's at Michigan State working on that staff. I, I, and I'm looking at, 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 at Hastings here. What's going on up there? You had Tom Osborne and yes. Bill Parcells. Yes. Well, that's the that's the one fact. Of the Bill Parcells piece, right, is the one that a lot of people don't know this about Hastings, right? Because I've talked to people about Hastings in general, and one of the least known facts, probably about Hastings, or what Hastings is most famous for. If it's in Nebraska, it's that's where Tom Osborne's from. Right. Number one, right? But otherwise, it's it's the birthplace of Kool Aid. It's where Kool Aid was invented. What? Yes, yes. Kool Aid was invented in Hastings. Wait a minute. Yes, oh. by Edward Perkins. Edward Perkins invented Kool Aid in See, Hastings. I don't know if I rest. believe you about this. So I'm dead serious. On this. How, they have, how, how they have a whole to... festival in the summer called Kool Aid Days in Hastings. Kool Aid. Hastings, did Nebraska. This, did you go to this Kool Aid festival? I we I did not go to the Kool Aid festival because I really started doing the Kool Aid festival after I left Hastings, but. There's a whole festival now around it. Um, but, yeah, the Bill Parcells piece. Bill Parcells got his coaching career started as a graduate assistant at Hastings College. Hold on here. Let me There's look. a lot of connections. Let me fucking look at this here. It's true. This I'm not fun. lying to you. I okay. wouldn't lie to you. <laughs> Hastings inventor Edward per- Edwin Perkins yes. had problems marketing his fruit smack. Now, fruit smack sounds like something <laughs> I'd like to get my uh, – a liquid drink concentrate <laughs> – Packaged in bottles, the product was expensive to ship and often broken in transit. To solve this problem, Perkins developed a way to dehydrate the concentrate and developed Kool-Aid. It was ADE, eventually changed to Kool-Aid, which became wildly successful. In 1931, the Perkins product company moved to Chicago, and today Kraft Foods continues to manufacture Kool-Aid. So Hastings, the birthplace of, of once fruit snack. That turned into Kool Aid, right? And you had Bill Parcells that went there, and you had uh, Tom Osborne went, that went there. Were you aware that Yoo Chang Soon, the Prime Minister of South Korea in 1982, also went to Hastings? I was not aware what of that the one. Fuck, was he doing at Hastings? We have an astronaut. Way. Clayton Anderson was an astronaut. Well, that's fine. Yes. But how, how, how was the the future Prime Minister of South Korea going? Uh, I don't know. What's don't going know. on up at Hastings? I don't this know. A lot of, I don't know that one. I like this right here. The fact that. Notable alumni and faculty. And here's it goes Clayton Anderson, astronaut. Yes. Bill Barrett, Nebraska politician. Mm-hmm. Uh, Million D. Bish, United States ambassador. Mark Bo Richter, NFL and CFL wide receiver. And then Yu Cheng Soon, <laughs> class of 1950, prime minister of South Korea. It's a, it's a very diverse. It's a very, it is a very diverse. And then later on down, down the road, Tom Osborne and Bill Parcells. Yes. So this is very – Hastings should should distribute this yes. to promote the wonderful uh, alumni. Yes. Okay, so you're there and you're playing football and then you, you become good. I mean, yeah. you're like yeah. a star, right? Yeah, I become a big man on campus. Oh, like, yeah, let's, let's just say that. How many people – Well, I say that – no, 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 no. no. I, where I'm going – no, I did say it. I, when I say that, 
My I played a lot my sophomore year. But what does that also. entail, being the big man on the Hastings campus? Because like, I was happening? fucking good at football. That's why. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, but what else? I mean, was no, it, was just it like no, no, kid, no, no, like, no, not really. I here's the thing, like I, I had a really good college life at Hastings College, but I also kept my nose clean, and I'll tell you why. Right, going. Your dad was the AD. Maybe? Number one, yeah, that's part of it. <laughs> But then the challenge of going to um, a school in your hometown where you've grown up, and Hastings is 25,000 people, right? We're not talking about like a link, several hundred thousand people, right? So the challenge of that is, you know, I listen to people talk about, oh, yeah, I had several fake IDs in college, things like that. Never had any of that. They knew who you were. Yeah. I can't walk into Murphy's Wagon Wheel, okay, Well, on a a Friday or Saturday evening – at nine o'clock, with all my buddies who are going with fake IDs or everything else to drink, because half of my friends' parents are probably hanging out there, right? right type well, of thing. Any of the Cougars? Nothing like that. No, 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 no crazy no, stories. No, no crazy stories. Well, so I would imagine you. So were, everybody knew I was underage. Is right, my point, right? right? So I had to keep my nose clean on some but of that stuff. I would imagine you were a, a, a popular man with the ladies at Hastings. Was that? Was there? Where, I mean. Yeah, I had a girlfriend most of my time okay. through, through so college. You, I mean, so, you yeah, really yeah. were. Yeah. Were you a good student? Did you do? No, I wasn't a great student. No, you this didn't get, well, I was an okay student. I was an okay student. Right. And going back to talking about keeping my nose clean, right? I think uh-huh. it was my senior year. I wasn't doing very well in a class. Uh, my freshman year. Well, let me back up. My freshman year, my first semester, I went. I wanted to be a fish and wildlife biologist, so I was kind of in the pre med biology. You program. wanted to be what? A fish and wildlife biologist. Okay. Enjoy the outdoors. All right. You love the outdoors. Love the fish. Yeah, this is, okay. And uh, and so I thought that's what I wanted to do. And so my freshman year in the biology piece was kind of pre-med. You know, all the all the stuff you have to take, the basic courses, right? I did not do well in with right. the, on stuff. So that, that threw that out the window. So I ended up settling on uh, a human resources degree. Um, with computer science, somewhat different than the, than the fish much, or much different, much stuff. different, more business oriented, right, right. Than, than anything else. But I was I was an average student at Hastings, um, and there's a time I think it was my senior year that you know I was not doing well in a class early in the fall, my senior year, or a couple classes, and word got back to our football coach, who was Ross Ells who sat down with several of us players and said, you're not going to play. You will not start this week and you will not play the first half if we don't get these grades up on stuff. Oh shit. So you get called in the coach's office. Not a huge deal, Steven, not a big deal, right? Okay. I'll get it done. Um, <clears throat> but right after, and the head football coach's office is right next to the athletic director's off- corner office. Okay. At Hastings College. Guy. And I know that guy. So we get done, I get done meeting with the head coach, and he says, okay, you need to go meet with the athletic director. And that's how he worded it. And I'm like, okay. So I walk in there, and of course my father's sitting across the desk from me. And he looks at me and says, I'm meeting with every single player that coach is meeting with because there's discipline involved in this. So that everybody knows that, that he's got my full support on this on things and I said okay so he said this is the athletic director talking to you right now so he went through his little spiel and I'm sure he gave every other kid that walked through there right type of thing I was like okay great fully understand you know I'll get stuff done I get up to leave right and he goes sit back down (laughs) and now it's like now it's your fucking dad talking to you right right? but he doesn't say fuck to me but he's like now it's your dad talking he was mad what the hell is going on right (laughs) right on stuff 
And so I was like, I know, I know, I got to get this done. I got it. He's like, no, sit your ass back down here. You better get your shit in order here on this stuff, right, on things. Because, number one, we were really good as my junior year there. Ranked number one in the country, lost the first round of the playoffs. And we were undefeated in my senior year as well. And so we had a really good team. And he was like, you are not going to mess up the rest of your life on things because you're going to finish your degree here on stuff in four years. You're on track for that. I don't know what's going on with you. I don't know what's figuring out right now, but get back on track in the classroom so you're not missing anything. And I understood where he was going with it because, number one, he didn't want the embarrassment of being the athletic director having to suspend his own son, right? I think that was number one. But then also, as a father, he I, I was my dad's son. My dad was not a great student in college either. He would tell you this on stuff. Uh, went on to get his doctorate, of course, and Dr. Bob and, and everything else. But he didn't want me to go down the path he had gone down, I think, in terms of – I was always the kid in the classroom that you always got the feedback from your elementary school teachers, middle school teachers, high school teachers that was not working up to potential in class, right? And my first thought, I always said, and I said this to my parents one time, how the fuck do they know what my potential is, right, <laughs> on stuff? But that's who I was. And – I did enough to get by where I thought it was. Now, I ended up graduating, graduating college with 3.0, um, you know, and, and things like that. But but that's one of the funny stories of, like, having to keep my nose clean on campus and sitting down with your athletic director, who happens to be your father. Okay, so then you, you finished Hastings. You had a great yeah. career there. How did you get to the CFL? So we had a – a guy named Jerry Drake, okay? okay? I don't know if his name's on that list or not. He might not have actually graduated from Hastings, but played football for us in like 1993 at Hastings. Uh, Big-ass, 6'3", 256-pound behemoth of a dude who I think was originally supposed to go to Syracuse to play football back in the 90s. Somehow we got him at Hastings. Um, just destroyed guys, okay? Just destroyed guys as a defensive end. He went on to play for the Arizona Cardinals for like seven years as a defensive tackle. Because he had come through Hastings a couple years before me, we had a couple other potential pro prospects, so we had some regional scouts that would come through Hastings. Otherwise, they probably wouldn't stop at NAI school. And so my junior year, um, I was always faster than people gave me credit for, but I never really run 40s. Even in high school, we didn't time 40s and all that kind of stuff. There were no high school combines to go to, right. all that shit. So they came through my junior year, after my junior year, spring of my senior, I guess spring of my junior year, right? Um, before senior year, spring football time, Hastings, NAI school, no indoor facility, it's March or April. It's 45 degrees and raining outside, and I got to run a 40-yard dash on our track right for this regional scout. And I ran like a 4.6 at the time, 4.5, I think, maybe. So I didn't run great, high 4.5, low 4.6. It's okay. Here's a big white kid who's dominating NAI football. Um, but at the same time, you know, he's just a 4.5, 4.6 guy, right, type of thing. So after my senior year, I had a tremendous senior year, caught like 19 touchdowns, um, and there were pro scouts looking at me. Had good playoffs, things like that. But I needed a solid 40 time on things. And so I paid to go to a regional combine in Chicago, Illinois, in um, like March of my senior semester. Now before that, in in January, I had gone to – live in Chicago for a month. We had this 
they call it J term now, but they call it interim at the time. You have to take three out of your four years at Hastings. You don't start your second semester right away in January. You start in February. So there's a, a 30 day window in there that you can take an elective class. And some of those are trips, you know, more immersion classes, whatever you want to do. So I had taken those my first three years. So my senior year, I went to live in Chicago for a month and work out with a speed trainer, a guy by the name of Tim Graff, who won the Big Ten Sprint Championship. Short little white guy that was like five foot six, um, but all he did was speed stuff. But did you know you're forty going into this thing before? Not completely, yeah. not completely. I knew I was probably like around the four or five is what I thought, right okay. at that time, realistically. And how I got connected with him is our defensive coordinator at Hastings, Bill O'Boyle, who's from Kansas City. Here, uh, a lot of people. His dad was a scout and and worked for the Chiefs for quite a while back in back in the eighties and nineties. Um. That name will ring true to some people here in Kansas City. Was our defensive coordinator, and so he had connections to an agent named Craig Doman, who was from Kansas City originally on some things too. And he had a lot of Nebraska guys, also. Craig did. So I got in contact with Craig, and he said, "Here's where I send my guys to you for pre, you know, pre-draft workout, pre-combine stuff. Why don't you go up here?" So I said, "Okay." So I paid my own way, paid for my own training. I lived with a former doctor from Hastings who my mom had worked with, who now lives in Chicago for a month. Worked out with Tim Graff on my speed, all this stuff. And things were going well. I'm running like in the four, four threes, four fours now. Okay. With really? him. Yeah. On stuff. I go to this regional combine in Chicago in March, then come back to it. Cause I needed true pro scout hand time. So there's CFL teams there, arena league at the time. There's some, you know, other scouts from the NFL that are at this deal and you have to pay 350 bucks to go to it. There's a 27 year old guy who's doing the bench press with you, you know, that's still trying to hang on to some shit, different things. And they score everything on that and give you a a rating and then they send it out to you. Well, I did really well at it and knew I did well and I ran well. Hey, can anyone go to this? You don't have to be invited to it. If you don't you pay have to the be, money, you can yeah, do it. Yeah, and it was okay. called Scout Camp is what it was called so at there's the time. So there's probably some fucking guys that had, had no business doing yeah, this. Yeah, there was, but, but there's also some guys from Clemson there, okay, right? Or right, different right. things. Yeah, yeah, right. 100%. But the guys that have played college football yes, at some level yes, that yes. still had that dream. Yes. Some had a legitimate shot at making it. Yep. Others maybe should have just stayed home. Yeah, okay, and there was you. a lot of small school guys there, too, Division two type of guys. Right. They right, may have been overlooked back then. They may have been overlooked or scouts didn't come through their you know school. So you're there. So I'm there. I get my score back, and I score. And they have these events at several different locations around the country, right? I get my score back, and I'm like the second-rateest wide receiver in the entire deal. Okay, I've, I've, out of thousands of people, based what was, on what was your forty? Based on my workout, so I ran a four-four-three there. Okay, and then, and then at six-three, two hundred and twenty pounds. Six-three, two. I had the best. I don't remember what my time was, but I had the best short shuttle. Okay. Um, pro agility drill, and then bench press. I think I did like fifteen reps at two twenty five at the time, right, or somewhere around there. Were there any? Do you remember? Were there any other notable players that you remember? Not that, that I remember deal? there okay. now. I could probably go back and look and find it. But when that came back, all of a sudden there was a lot more interest because okay, now I'm running faster, right? I validated my speed. I dominated the NAI level as a wide receiver, and we ran an option offense. Like, I wish we ran the spread now, looking back right. on things, on stuff. But um, so I had some potential for the NFL draft. The NFL draft comes and goes. And as you know, if you're not, again, then it was not the Thursday, it was basically Saturday, Sunday. Right. And the flurry of free agency, undrafted free agent guys comes on Sunday night. And if you don't hear something by Monday, you're screwed. Okay. You're not getting even an undrafted free agent piece. 
So I had several teams that were interested in me. I knew I wasn't going to get drafted, but I thought I had a pretty good shot of being an undrafted free agent. And you had an agent. And I had an agent at the time. Okay. Which, when I signed with him, I was like, okay. So he put the agreement in front of me and says, what, you know, you have any questions? I'm like, well, what do I owe you? And he's like, well, nothing until, you know, we make a team. Did he have any NFL players? Was he? Yeah. So Eric Warfield was okay. actually uh, right, one you. of his. Uh, Steve Warren from Nebraska. A lot of Nebraska guys at the time. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So he knew what he was doing. Oh, 100%. Thinking, you, got 100%. A, you got a shot legit. here. Yeah. Yep. Of being signed as an undrafted Correct. free agent. So then what happens? So I don't get, I don't get a call to be an undrafted free agent. You're like, what the fuck? Yeah. So here's where this comes in. My mindset of going to the scout camp piece was I'm going to give this everything I got, right? And going to work out with a speed coach in Chicago. I'm going to give this everything I got. I, because you had, at that time, the Arena League, AF1, was still a big thing, right? Nationally televised, different stuff. I knew the Canadian League could be an option for me. I just wanted to keep playing football at that point and give it a shot and see what happened. If not, okay, I'll go work somewhere else, right? Not a big deal. Maybe go back to Hastings, be a graduate assistant, maybe get into coaching, do that kind of stuff. That's where I was at with my head at the time. On that Tuesday or Wednesday after the draft, it may have been a week after, but I get a call on a Tuesday or Wednesday from the Calgary Stampeders who have seen my tape, who have uh, had a representative at the little combine I was at. And the reason the Calgary Stampeders called me is our connection, one of our other guys at Hastings who was – I think he was the dean at that point at Hastings or a different role in the business office was like our linebackers coach and been at Hastings for a long time, but he was from Canada. And so we had several connections um, up there with the CFL. So he made some calls and distributed my tape and things. So Calgary calls me on a Tuesday or Wednesday and says, we are having a free agent tryout camp in Dallas, Texas on Saturday morning at like nine o'clock. Is there any chance you can make it there? Fuck yeah, let's go, right? Like, I don't care. Dallas is like a nine, ten-hour drive from Hastings. Uh, So my dad and I got in the car Friday morning, uh, drive down to Dallas, Texas at one of the large, you know, high school. I think it might have been Denton's. uh, Denton, Texas is stadium down there. It seats 15,000 people, right? How many people were this fucking thing? It was invitation only, and there's probably, I'd say probably 70 70 guys there, right? All all positions, okay? Okay. So, but invitation only, and it truly was invitation only because some guys showed up like, hey, I got invited to this, and I got about three of my boys, right? Like, can I pay? Yeah. I think we still had to pay $100 for it, right, type of thing. But, I all got, nope, we're not just invited only. So we get down there. We run a 40. We do all those drills also in front of them. Then we do some one-on-one stuff and different things. And I do really well. And my dad will tell the story that I walk over in the middle of kind of the workout during a break, and I go, how do you think it's going? He's like, you look good. I'm like, all right, cool. So right after we got down there Friday night, go have dinner, go to the stadium. This is how I prepared, right, Stephen? Like, and I did this my entire career. I wanted to be in the right mindset for this tryout, so we actually went to the stadium. And my dad's opinion on this has never changed. He will always tell you at a pro sports stadium, in a lot of ways, there's always a gate open to a stadium somewhere, okay, or somebody that'll let you just walk in and peek at it. Right now, that's changed a little bit now on some things, but back then that was the case. So. We go there and we get into the stadium. So I go and run around a little bit at the stadium Friday night just to get loose because I've been in a car for 10 hours after dinner and stuff just to get a peek at the stadium. Go back, stay in the hotel, go work out. The workout goes well. We get right in the car, grab some food, and head home. And on the way back, he's, we're talking. He's like, how would you think it went? I said, I think it went really well. I think I got a pretty good shot. But I have no idea what's going to happen. I get a call from Calgary. This is on Saturday. I get a call 
on Monday from Calgary and says, hey, we want to offer you a contract. Fantastic. Send it over, right? So I get a FedEx to Hastings. Here's the contract. Fax to me. It's like $37,000 to go play pro football. Thirty-seven grand, Which was the rookie minimum salary at the time in the CFL. The one-year deal. Two-year deal. Two-year deal? Two-year deal with an option. Oh. Okay? And the option piece in the, in the CFL at that time was an agreement they had with the NFL. So if you were in your option year, you were still a part of the organization you were with, but you had a window of about 45 days to sign with an NFL team. And I'm looking at it going, I just get to go play. This is awesome, right? So I graduate like the following Saturday from Hastings College, and on a Monday, I'm getting on a plane in Lincoln, Nebraska to fly to, fly to Calgary to go to training camp on stuff. Like, happened that fast. Right. And so you get up there, and so what's, what's, what's Canada like? What's- so Calgary is a great city, by the way. It reminds me a lot of like a Denver or Colorado Springs, right on the edge of the Rocky Mountains. And Flutie had been there like four or five years before. He had been there previous, yeah. And Jeff Garcia, okay, had been there a couple years beforehand and was now with San Francisco at the time, was their quarterback. But Flutie made his hay there, yes. In the back of your mind, you're thinking, okay, there's some, there's some, there's some guys that have played at Calgary that have gone to the NFL. My NFL dream's not dead. 100%. Okay. Although at that point, I wasn't even thinking about the NFL. Right. Right. I was just thinking, hey, I'm happy to go give this a shot. And for me, it was about, okay, I'm going to go up there, bust my ass, prove my worth, hopefully make the team, right? And we'll see what happens. I get up there, go through everything. We go through our physicals. We do all the stuff. We're like three days into practice, and practice is going really well for me. And we play our first preseason game like a week after training camp starts, by the way, up there. Like it does, you don't have two, three weeks of practice and then play a game. It's like a week. And I got into a great situation. So I'll just throw this out there. So the receiving core was pretty much set. In Canada, they have racial rules. And when I say racial rules, there are a certain amount of Canadians that have to be on the roster as opposed to Americans or they call them imports type of thing. So – there are there's really one import position open. They have a practice squad and stuff too, but there's really one import or American receiver position open. And there's like eleven guys there to try out for this position during training camp. And I'm of course one of those guys. And several of them have had some experience in the National Football League before. So I come out, just work hard. We get about two days into practice, and I get called off the field. And there was a problem with my blood work that I had like a high red cell count or a high platelet count in my blood stuff. Indications that, and I had some bruises on my arms from practice, indications that potentially I could have like leukemia or something. Oh, really? Okay. So I'm scared shitless about this at the time, not knowing what's happening. Hey, I'm playing professional football. I'm getting my opportunity at training camp here. Now this happens. So I have to go get some extra tests. And what those extra tests involved was basically taking a sample of my bone marrow from my, the back of my hip, right? The needle's not quite that big, <laughs> but it's a big gauge needle because it's going into your bone, right. right, to pull out your bone marrow. So I have to get I've that. been told this is very, very big. It's gigantic. <laughs> so don't, yeah, don't ruin that for me. <laughs> I won't. Right, thank you. I won't. So I go do this test in the afternoon. And they numb you up and everything. And it's probably one of the most painful procedures I've ever had done just because if you've ever just had a bone-on-bone bruise or anything, it hurts, let alone sticking a freaking big-ass needle in it. Sure. Um, so I can still practice. I can still do some things. And they basically tell me, hey, you can have off for a day or two because we know you're going to be sore and stuff. I was like, no, nah, fuck this. I'm going out to practice. 
So I got to practice and half the coaches like, why are you out here right now? Like you're not supposed to be practicing. You don't like, like you don't want to lose the opportunity. Yeah. And I've been cleared. Back. I've been cleared. Right. Um to practice still, right? But just because it was so painful and stuff, they're like, you can take a day if right. you need to. I'm like, no, I'm fine. So everything comes back fine, by the way, with my tests, which is all good. Just a condition uh, put me on like a, a prednisone, like a steroid piece to, to, to figure things out. A good steroid, not an anabolic steroid. Right. Okay. Just so we're throwing that out yeah. there. And we go play our first preseason game. Now I got into a great situation with the wide receiver core. Alan Pitts was an older wide receiver, but he was the Jerry Rice of the CFL when I was there. Okay. Was the all time leading receiver in the entire Canadian football league. Um, had been in Calgary for probably 10 years. He was the guy, right? right? The goat, the, the awesome, like every, he was, that's how I compare the Jerry Rice at the time of the CFL. And that's who I'm backing up. Well, he doesn't play the first preseason game, right? Because he's a veteran. So we get in the first preseason game and I'm starting in his spot and two plays into the game the very first pass thrown to me i catch it and take it about 60 yards for a touchdown oh shit right through the defense and it was at that moment my parents had flown up for the game because they were like my dad will tell you this and my mom will tell you this that they were both like we don't know if we'll ever see mark play professional football right again. so we better so go to this one we're gonna go to this one so that happens and my dad turns to my mom and says i think we're gonna see him play some more games right I'm so excited. I'm supposed to be on the kickoff team. I'm on the fucking bench sitting there. and like, you need to just fucking ass out there and cover this kickoff. I'm like, I didn't have to do this shit in college, right? right. You scored, you come and hang out on the bench. Um, but that was the kickoff to my professional career. It was at that moment in that preseason game, my very first catch that I was like, I deserve to be here and play. The one thing that made me successful in the Canadian Football League is I was there to play football in the Canadian Football League. The other guys that didn't make the team, well, those 11 I was talking about, a lot of good talent there, right? But their attitude with a lot of it was all, I'm just, man, I'm just up here to get some more tape and get back down in the league, right. you know? Well, you do that, you're not going to get back down in the league. But you were happy to be in the CFL. I was happy to be playing football. And so you were there for two years? I was there for two years. So after my first year, we had a good run. Our quarterback was Dave Dickinson. He was the MVP of the league. Again, I came into a great situation. Alan Pitts was on the roster, right? Still, I was basically the fourth, fifth wide receiver. We had four guys go over 1,000 yards that year. I was one of them, receiving-wise. Um, and at this point now, I've got 15 to 20 NFL teams that are calling going, hey, okay, we, you've proved it to us now, too. We want to sign you. Again, I'm on a two-year deal, right? So I talked to – our head coach and GM, Wally Buono, legendary coach. And my agent does and says, hey, we want out of our deal. Basically, like, you know people want me type of thing. And while I love it here, I love Calgary, nothing against it, will you let me out of this deal? Or at least redo this so I have an option right now to go try. Right. And they said no, which was fair. <laughs> right? right? I signed a two-year deal. What he did come back to me with and say said, we'll give you a big salary bump, though. You deserve it. And I said, okay. So I went from making 37000 with a couple of postseason bonuses, right, maybe 40, 45 my first year, up to a base salary of about eighty. Now you're fucking rolling. Yeah, yeah. And my big concern was, okay, I'll sign this for this new salary bump, but I still have my option here next year, right, like after this year. We're not extending this deal. And he's like, no, absolutely not. So we, that was all fine. So we get into my second year, 
in the CFL. Um, and we struggle a little bit as a team early on. Dave Dickinson, our quarterback from the year before, went and signed with the San Diego Chargers at the time. He became the backup. That was when Doug Flutie was there in San Diego. He became Flutie's backup, actually. Odd stuff. And so we were breaking in a different quarterback, Marcus Crandall. And we just didn't have a ton of chemistry early on. Not just me. Alan Pitts eventually retires. They push him out for me to be the starter. Um, and we just struggled as a team for a while. But we were a 500 team. We battled back in the last half of the season. And we ended up going on a playoff run and win the Grey Cup my second year. By the time we get to the Grey Cup, everybody knows that I'm. this is my last game in Calgary. Uh, because everybody knows I'm going to the National Football League. And so we get to that point, and I know that's that's what's going to happen. Now, the typical routine in the CFL at that point was you get yourself in a position, you know, you got several teams interested in you, you kind of narrow it down, and you go work out for four teams, right? And then decide from there. The problem at this point, Stephen, I had like 20-some teams, 28 teams, like 25 teams, somewhere in there, that all were interested in me. And so now I had to change my strategy of what my thought process was because I was like, I can't go work out for 20 teams and get on a plane and do this for two, three straight weeks, right? Like, I'm not going to look good. And I don't want to narrow my list of teams down not knowing if one is actually a better opportunity than the other because there were so many. So we put together my own personal pro day in Salt Lake City, Utah <laughs> to go do this in January. And basically said, if you're interested in, in signing me, you got to come to my workout. And it's only going to be me working out. I brought Marcus Crandall, our quarterback, down with me. My agent at this point was living in Salt Lake City, Utah. His wife was working for the U.S. Olympic Committee, and that was 2002 when they were having the Winter Olympics out there. And so we got the bubble at the University of Utah, and I went and worked out. And we had 20 teams in attendance. And we just didn't have scouts. We had VPs of pro personnel. Um you know, Scott Pioli was at my workout, right, on stuff. Um, Lynn Stiles at my workout here from the Kansas City Chiefs. The Polians were there from, from the Colts. But by the way, you had a 68-yard touchdown catch in the Great Cup. In the fucking yeah, Great yeah, Cup. Yeah, yeah, But that was – you just kind of skipped that over. That's a big fucking deal. That's- it was a big deal. Yeah, it was. It was a big deal. It was a huge deal. Was that all? I mean, that, that was awesome, right? Yeah. No, it was fantastic. Winning the Great Cup, the ultimate championship, right? Like – Going out on that note, that's you, how it's put it. The, you beat the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. We did. Fuck them. We did. But, I mean, that had to be like, I mean, you went from, just, I just want to pause for me. You went yeah. from, okay, you're playing at Hastings, and then I don't know if you're, you know, you don't know if you're ever going to get a chance to play. Right. You know, professional. And then you're one of the stars in the team. You catch a 68-yard yeah. touchdown pass in the Great Cup in the CFL. That, that's fucking awesome. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh, it was. It was. Like, my rise in Calgary was was large and early, right? And looking back, like, was there any party like, man, I'm the I'm the big man on campus again? Should I fuck? Oh, stay oh yeah, here? I was I was rolling around Calgary with should some I, boys. Yeah, I, we were rolling around Calgary with some boys. Okay, how like, was, how was Calgary? I loved it. For Absolutely, a, for, a, for a guy like yourself, for a I guy mean, from yeah, Nebraska, as I mentioned, it was a lot, reminded me a lot of Denver, a lot of Colorado Springs, because right on the edge of the Rocky. Was Mountains. it wild? Like, from I mean, you're a star. There. Well, was the it? Calgary Stampede, I'll tell you, is wild. Okay, so my first year, let's back up for a second. My first year up there, everybody kept telling me, wait for the Calgary Stampede, right, which is in July. Wait for Stampede. It's nuts up here. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, no problem. Whatever, big deal. 
one of the first days the, the stampede, the entire city shuts down, right, for like a week. And specifically, the, fir- the stampede's really kind of a week and a half, about 10 days. But the first couple days, the entire city just fucking shuts down. Right. And everybody just parties, right? And when I say everybody, I mean everybody. Yeah. And that when, I, when I found this out specifically was, again, I'm 22 years old, right, in a new city, going out with a bunch of my teammates who are all really good guys. And we're in a bar like 2 o'clock in the morning, the first day of Calgary Stampede, and we run into our team doctors and the team dentists, right, who are – clearly on their way right right type of thing and i was like that was like really everybody in the world does actually party so what, like, for this. what what the fuck is the calgary stampede for people that don't know it's just like a one of the world's largest rodeos okay yeah so that this so the chuck it. wagon races yeah well it's it's a great time oh, the chuck yeah. wagon it's races. a great time okay so that's a big party you yes. love calgary yes. yep. but you want to go to the nfl correct and then you set up this combine you right. got all the peoles there lynn style they're all yep. there so how does that go it goes really well because I know at this point it's all going to come down to what my 40 time is on this day. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go through the three cone. I'm going to do all the other drills. I'm going to run and, th- um, you know, Marcus is getting to showcase himself a little bit as a quarterback also, but more it's it's about me running routes, everything else. So we get to the 40, and I run the 40-yard dash, and, you know, I run it, and everybody's handheld stuff, right, on things. But I run it, and I can kind of see everybody looking around, you know, stuff. And after my first one, I said, kind of walked by my agent. I was like, what would I run? He goes, he goes, go run another one. Oh, shit. I'm like, okay. I'm like, but what I run? He's like, you ran good. Just go, yeah. run, just go run another one. I'm like, all right. I go, why do I need to run another He's like, you need to prove it again. So I ran a 4-4-2 and a 4-4-2 in the 40. Oh, okay. At my pro day. <laughs> So when he meant go run another one, go run one more and prove that just show him again this isn't a fluke, right? It wasn't a fluke. I knew at that point that my options were going to increase. I knew that potential bonus money was going to increase. And at the time in the CFL, um, like Dave Dickinson, who was the MVP of the league, I think he got like $40,000 to sign okay, as a signing bonus with the Chargers. So... We go through that process, and now it's like, okay, who's in and who's out? Okay? Got a few teams that didn't come to the workout. Forget it. You don't want me. Fuck that. You didn't show. Right? right? Okay? Don't call me now. Yeah. Right? Type of thing. That's don't call right. me now. That's you right. weren't there. And so I kind of narrow it down at this point because now we're starting to talk offers because the teams are starting to ask, okay, what do you want? Right? So my agent's working on that. And we started the baseline at about $70,000, 50000 bucks, And all of a sudden, he's kind of like, hey, this is what we're thinking. And so now I get offers in. So I get offers in from the Denver Broncos, the Patriots, the Packers, the Falcons, the Chiefs, and the Colts. And I got a couple other offers in that were like, here's 25000 bucks, right, to sign. And my agent was like... You guys got to come up, or you're out. For well, like, sure. where were you hoping you would go? Did you did you have a preference? I didn't like- have a preference. I had a, at this point, my mentality isn't about whether I need to prove myself. It's where can I play? Okay, okay. And what's the best quarterback situation? What's the best offensive situation? What's the best situation for me personally? So I take trips now, right on the trip deal. So I go to in between this after my workout, we go to the Senior Bowl. Because everybody and their fucking dog is there from the NFL, right? right? 
So while we're there, I sit down and meet with several of these teams also, just like the prospects were there. This was kind of like I was at the Senior Bowl as a senior, but I wasn't playing in the game, right? Go through a bunch of meetings there. On the way back from the Senior Bowl, I I visit Denver on my way back to Calgary because I had to fly through Denver anyway. So I visit Denver. Like Denver, I grew up a little bit of a Broncos fan, okay? Because I mentioned back, I lived in Colorado for a while. That was – Back in the Broncos were going John Elway's heyday. Oh, fucking Elway, I don't. I don't yeah, I know. know I'm saying in the '80s, right? I did, I did. In the mid late '80s, the Three Amigos. You remember the Three Amigos? Uh, yeah, Richard right. Nittiel. Yeah, yeah. Vance Johnson. Fucking, yeah, all those guys. Yeah, but fuck them. I know. Right. That's, I, I hear. Yeah, That's yeah, fine. yeah. You know. So I went to the Broncos, go back to Calgary, and then I take trips on a basically a, a five day trip. So I come to Kansas City in February. 2002 i leave here the morning the fucking huge ice storm hits here i fly to indianapolis have meetings with indianapolis fly to atlanta that night same day meet with the falcons the next day and what i did when i came to these visits steven is i said hey i want to sit down with your coaches if possible right i want to see how you feel i fit into your offense and I want to watch this stuff. So I actually worked out here in Kansas City with Al Saunders out there and Vermeil and everybody on stuff. In Indianapolis, I get there. I sit down in Bill Pullian's office. We're going through things. Um, at this point, Tony Dungy was just hired as a head coach, okay, in Indy. And we get in and, and we're talking and, and we get on a conference call and it's fucking Peyton Manning, right, as a quarterback, obviously. And so I talked to Peyton for like 20 minutes and he gives me his recruiting spiel of what I really need is a big fucking wide receiver, you know, and stuff. And Indianapolis was very honest with me. They had two tight ends, Ken Dilger and Marcus Pollard. Uh, Harrison was there. They just drafted Reggie Wayne, number one, the year before, in the first round anyway. And Jerome Payton was their third wide receiver. And they he was a free agent, but they made no bones they wanted him back. They truly wanted him back. So I understood where they were at on things. I go to Atlanta, I sit down, and this is after Michael Vick's rookie year. So I sit down with Les Snead, who is uh, now obviously the GM of the Rams, okay? And another guy, I can't remember his name off the top, and we're watching film of Mike Vick, right? And they're selling me on Mike Vick, Mike Vick, Mike Vick. So you're deciding right now between Peyton Manning and Mike Vick. Yes, yeah, right? Yeah, I'm sitting there, and we're going through all this, and they are just stroking Mike Vick's arm, basically, right? Like, look at this throw. He's rolling to his left, right? And he whips the ball 45 yards downfield on a fucking rope. You know, right. great throw. I'm not, you know, shit we see Patrick Mahomes do nowadays, right? And so I asked him to back the film up for a second. I was like, back it up. I said, okay, this is great. I said, but where's he supposed to go with this ball? Where's his first read? And they looked at me like, what are you talking about? And I was like, I said, he's, he's, got, he's looking right, and he's got two fucking guys that are open. And he doesn't throw him the ball. And he's got to evade the rush, and then he throws a fucking bullet down field 45 yards. It's all impressive and athletic as shit, but who's he supposed to throw it to? And they kind of looked at me at that point like, okay, this guy knows his shit, right? Like, I was a student of the game. I felt the game. I understood all that kind of stuff. And that, to me, was a turnoff a little bit for Atlanta, okay? Because they came at this at me more so about – how great Mike Vick was, and I'm looking at it from a receiver standpoint and not being selfish going, well, why isn't he throwing me the ball? But, like, if if he's not making these reads, and I know he's a rookie, 
But these are pretty basic reads, and he's not throwing the ball where he needs to. What does that mean overall for where this offense is going, right, type of thing? So I leave Atlanta, go to Green Bay, fly to Green Bay, visit Green Bay. Everything goes well there, fly back to Calgary. Now we're collecting offers. Okay, so that's where we're at, the offer stage now on things. So what it comes down to, and New England was in the mix, but they weren't coming up above like 25000 Typical Belichick. Right. Purely shit. So we get to the offers coming in. So I'm offered like around 100 to sign, okay, with Atlanta. Um, I get offered around the same with the Broncos, a little bit higher. The Chiefs come in about the same, and then Indianapolis comes in higher, okay, on stuff. So now I've got four or five teams I got to choose from. Green Bay doesn't come up to where they need to, so but, they're out. But, but still, but Green Bay, you're 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 picking for the, Brett. Brett the, Carr. The, the the line of quarterbacks. Okay, I went through with that piece: Peyton Manning, Brett Favre, Michael Vick, Tom Brady, Tom Brady, because they had just won the Super Bowl then, right? Too with his what first year. Fuck? Yes, yeah. Trent Green, of course, here. Trent Green, right. right? Who's in Denver? A, Greasy? Greasy in Denver? Plumber? One of two? Well, they point. suck yeah. compared to yeah. these guys. But I mean, like. But, like, okay, so before we get into my. Was there. Let's be honest. Was, if like, was there. What quarterback did you want to play with? Like, oh, boy, I want to fucking catch passes from him. Well, I thought it'd be great to catch passes from Brett Favre, right? I yeah. thought it'd be great to catch passes from Peyton Manning. Now, you know, this is also 2002, right? So Peyton's been in the league four years. Still, obviously, really good, but not. Yet to he's kind of hitting his prime right, right at that point. But you're going to a good quarterback. Yes, yeah, and I like Trent as a quarterback. Watching you know and stuff, I knew that the veteran piece. I knew about his time in Washington and you know what happened to him in, in St. Louis, of course, with a knee injury. Did Vermeil make a difference to you? Did the head coach make a difference? <clears throat> the head coach was a part of it, also. Yeah, um, but again, I was looking at what's the best opportunity, what's the best fit for me offensively. So New England low ball, you Green Bay low ball, you they're out of there. They're so out. Who, the, now who's down to? So now it's Atlanta, uh, Denver, Kansas City, and Indianapolis. So what are they offering? What are we talking about? Here? We're talking everything's over a hundred thousand to sign now. Oh, shit. Okay. Now we're so now now, now Stephen, I am actually at a point that I am at the highest signing bonus given to a guy coming out of the CFL, even higher than Jeff Garcia at the time, right? Now, Flutie was a different story, right, on stuff. But any non-quarterback, let's put it that way, any non-quarterback, I was at that point. So it starts inching up on things. Well, Atlanta doesn't want to come to a certain point, so I'm like, okay, they're out just based on my meetings. And really it came down to, for me, Indianapolis and Kansas City. And I turned down less money in a signing bonus, or excuse me, I turned out more money in a signing bonus from Indianapolis to come to Kansas City. Why? I just mentioned that they said, hey, we want Jerome Payton back, right? Now, looking back on this, you might be like, that was the dumbest motherfucking decision ever made, right? Uh, but, no, but but here's here's why, okay? It wasn't... How much more money? Um, About 50 grand. Uh, that's significant. It's significant amount, okay? Significant amount. Um... But I, again, for me, it was about the opportunity, okay? So I looked at Kansas City and said they had a good quarterback in Trent Green. Now, he's not Peyton Manning, right? But at the time here, Eddie Kennison had only been here for like four games at the end of 2001. You got Tony Gonzalez. You got Tony Gonzalez. Um, Sly Morris 
Big Cat was coming off his <laughs> knee injury, right? Oh, didn't didn't fuck. really fit didn't really fit the style of offense yeah. either, right? As a wide what, receiver, what offense did he fit? No. Yeah, right. And then um, Dante Hall was not Dante Hall yet. Dante Hall was playing in Europe, right? In this in the NFL Europe, he was not the X factor. He was not the X factor yet. I don't know what if the actual X factor, the fan. I don't know if he was the X factor <laughs> yet either. So maybe no X factors. Huh? So Dante Hall was not Dante Hall yet, right? right. And Snoop Minnis just got done with his rookie year, and Derek Alexander was here, but he wasn't coming back. They were not having him back. And I was like, there's a legit opportunity for me to come in and play right away here, right? There's a lot of um, unknowns at the wide receiver position. So what was the bonus they were giving you? 175. And you went from thinking you're just asking for 50 or 70, yeah. and now you get 175. To sign. To sign. Guaranteed. And, and then Guaranteed no matter what happens, yeah. So you get 175, and then what, what type of – Commitment are they making to you? or, or So I, at the time, because this is where it kind of gets crazy, I signed a seven-year deal here, okay? And people are like, why are you signing a seven-year deal? It wasn't really a seven-year deal. It was a three-year deal with four years avoided years. Right. Because I was considered a rookie. My signing bonus came out of the draft pool money and signing rookie pool money that the Chiefs had that year, Okay. So by doing it over seven years, they could amortize obviously my my money out right and not count toward what it needed to for the, so they still had room for draft picks and stuff. Right. That's why it was. So it really was a three year deal, and I was like, it doesn't matter. Like, and the playtime stuff was super minimum for me to hit to void the last few years of the deal. That I was like, if I'm not playing this much anyway at this point, I'm not going to be here after three years anyway. So seven year deal, rookie salary two twenty five at the time, right on stuff. Um, so a pretty basic rookie deal. Equivalent at the time probably to like a fourth-round pick in terms of money and everything else. So it's a done deal. You come to Kansas City. Come to Kansas City. And I'm here in the off-season program in March right when it started, uh, working out with the team. And about three weeks in, Vermeil calls me up to his office. That was where about a week or two before the draft, right? Maybe two weeks in and says – there was a lot of chatter about Dante Stallworth, who was a wide receiver from Tennessee at the time, because uh-huh. the Chiefs were picking seventh that year, right? It's Ryan Sims here. Ryan Sims here. Oh, just shit. FYI. Okay. And so there was a lot of chatter about them picking a wide receiver. And he flat out told me, we're not picking a wide receiver. But we are going to sign one in free agency. And that was Johnny Morton. Johnny Norton. Johnny Morton's got three nice balls. Johnny Morton. That's a great drop on our show. Johnny Morton. So they signed Johnny Morton. Everything goes well for the offseason program for the OTAs because you probably remember this, but a lot of people don't. Tony Gonzalez is holding out, right, for more money, new contract that year. So he wasn't at any of the offseason program stuff. He showed up to minicamp, but he didn't practice in minicamp because he was still holding out, but he didn't want to get fined, so he showed up and watched. But it was great because as a the largest wide receiver on the team, I knew every I learned every single position. And I ran a lot of Gonzalez's routes with Jason Dunn and Billy Baber at the time, the other tight ends, during all the offseason program stuff. Or situations where Gonzalez would be in there, I ran with the ones because I was athletic enough to make it simulated to make it work. So I showed out all during the offseason. And it was one of the greatest things for me, Stephen, to be able to get in that situation with him not being here, to learn the entire offense, and to show what I could do 
you know, in those situations and what I could bring to the table. And that's really what opened the door for me. So your rookie year, you have 20 catches for 420 yards and eight touchdowns. Yeah. Including the 99-yard touchdown. And so take me a little bit through your rookie year. And, and I mean, that's that's pretty damn good rookie year, right? Yeah. But, again, just when I thought I was facing a little adversity like I did in Canada, right, uh-huh. the first year, we get through the whole off-season program, mini camps, all that kind of stuff. We got our three weeks off. We come back to training camp, right, up to River Falls, Wisconsin, my first time up there. And after, like, day two of training camp, I have a pain, like, in my stomach during practice in the afternoon. And I have fucking appendicitis. Right. <laughs> so – I got to go to the hospital in Minneapolis, get my appendix taken out. And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't have an opportunity now, right? Can't make the club if you're in the tub, right? (laughs) Type of thing. So I'm out for all of the preseason games except the last one, the very last one, the fourth preseason game I get to play. And I'd been back for practice for about a week then at that point too. But – I didn't know I, going into training camp. I thought I had a really good shot of potentially making the team. After that point, I was like, I might get cut here and get on the practice squad because they haven't seen enough. I did a lot during OTAs and mini camp and everything else, but not enough in the game situation. So, um, play that preseason game. We're done. I make the final roster. Right, I make the fifty-three, and then more importantly, I make the forty-six on game day, suited up as we start playing that year and. I didn't play a ton of offense early on in the year um, just because I'd been out. And so they'd plug some other guys in. And then I just played my ass off on special teams, was prepared every single game. And my first NFL catch was against Jacksonville Jaguars in a two-minute situation down the stretch where we were down. And I'm running just a nine route in the slot. <clears throat> to kind of clear stuff out, and Trent throws it up to me. I go up over top of the guy and catch it for like thirty yard gain. It was fifty one. Was it okay? Fifty one yards. Selling game, myself short. Game number two. Get it fucking right. I'm selling myself short. So that was my first catch. Well, after that happened, I remember getting singled out in a meeting. Like, hey, here's the guy who hasn't played all that much yet this year. But when we call him to make a play, he goes and makes a play. You didn't have any targets. Game one, game two, you had the 51 yard catch, but nothing week three, nothing week four, yeah. nothing week five. Yeah. And then week six at San Diego, four for 85. Yeah. And two touchdowns. We get to the point later on because I just keep busting my ass in special teams and making some plays in practice and different stuff. I started getting more and more opportunities to play. Right. And then we get to San Diego and all hell breaks loose in a good way for me. Right. Like it was one of those situations that. I you know I take a my first career touchdown happens I'm playing the rest of the game Trent starting to gain more confidence in me on game day throws up another ball jump ball for me in the end zone to go make the catch that was kind of where things started to take off for me on an offensive side of things and sure. you and you went fucking crazy against San Diego the second time because yeah. that's a team you had your 99 yard touchdown yeah. five for 144 yeah. two touchdowns you. Fucking had four touchdowns yeah. in two games. And I start at, at that point, I think I mean I started that San Diego game, that last one for sure. I think I started another one maybe or two that year. Yeah, also, because there was a couple of injuries to guys. I think Johnny was out or something, and so I start. Tell me about ninety nine. And now we and now we make history, right? Like, Tell me about ninety nine. Tell me about that play. Um this is funny. I, I just I say funny because I tell people this all the time, like People ask me the question, what was that like, right? Did you know it was a record at the time? Fuck no, I didn't know it was a record at the time. 
We had the ball at the two-yard line, <laughs> first of all. And we're running 8-22 special. So I have the 8, which is a post route. The 22 is we're in a two-tight end set to the right. I'm the only wide receiver split left. And it's a play-action pass. We're faking a dive. And really, Jason Dunn's the, the, the underneath two, underneath tight end shallow. And then Gonzalez is running the deeper cross on the deep two. And my job is I'm an alert. Okay, When I say an alert, if the safety comes down or something happens, you know, it's a shot. But you're not thinking that down at the goal line. Okay, We're thinking this, hey, we're going to try to make it look like we're running the ball. And we're going to try to hit a medium range, give us some breathing room, whatever. Two-yard line, we go on a hard count, try to give us some breathing room. Right. Omar Easy fucking jumps. Okay? <laughs> false starts. Omar Easy. Omar Easy false <laughs> starts. Right? False starts. Now we're back at the one-yard line. So we run the exact same play because we obviously didn't get the playoff. We run the same play. I run the post route. Rodney Harrison is the safety on the far side, and he crashes in kind of a two-deep zone look, right? Two-deep shell. <coughs> Excuse me. Cover four probably look more so. He jumps the crosser. I get behind the other safety on my post, and Trent steps up in the pocket and sees it and just lets it fly. I go run under it and grab it. Obviously run the rest of the way. Place is going nuts, right? I'm tired running that far. <laughs> Get to the sideline, and all I hear is, you know, that's 99-yard touchdown is now a new Kansas City Chiefs franchise record and NFL record. So I'm getting slapped on the shoulders. Hey, great, you know, whatever. I didn't realize how long it was at the time. You know, you're just out there playing. You're just out there going through it. But – it's become my claim to fame, obviously, as you know. And I don't fucking care. That's great. Right. I, I'm not complaining about it whatsoever. I'd love to have it. So, so for those, you know, in, in 2002 and 2003, the way those Chiefs teams were remembered, and then because you, you guys went 8-8 eight and eight that year, then the next year hit the 13-3 yeah. and three and you go to the playoffs. Yeah. Great offense, great offensive line, um, great running back in Priest Holmes. All world tight end, but the defense couldn't stop shit. Mm-hmm. And so, was there honestly was there division in that locker room? Were there? I mean, now we, we're getting all these. Yeah, let, let's fucking get to it here. I ben, are we good on? Can we get to the shit now? Ben says, yeah, "I wouldn't say. Good? I wouldn't look. I would. God damn it! No, hold on. Just, just hang on. Let me go. Oh, I'm just, I'm just going to tell you. You got to be honest here because I don't like hearing the all world team. You guys know how good you were offensively and how bad yes, you were defensively. Yes. I don't want to hear you didn't get pissed off at someone or something. Come on now. No. I think this is my observation on it. Was there dissension in the locker room at that time? I would say no. Okay? And I'll tell you why. Because we had good leadership that didn't let that divide it. Right? But I will tell you that on the offensive side of the ball, we knew we were screwed. Okay? Right? We knew it. And there were guys on the defense that knew it also. You know? There were guys that knew it too. And so it became a situation for us offensively, I think, that was like, we legitimately have to score every fucking time we have the ball. Every time. And if we get a stop, great, but it's probably not going to happen. Well, we had to take it on ourselves and put it on our shoulders. So when I say it was there dissension in the locker room, no. Guys like Will Shields, guys like Brian Waters, those guys wouldn't let that happen, right? Uh, so there wasn't like, 
unfortunately, I wish there was a better story of like, yeah, guys were getting in a fist fight or close to it. But were there comments made? Yes, absolutely. But I think some of the guys on the defense knew how bad they like were. Comments also. like what? Like, can't you fucking? Yeah, stop can we get a one? fucking stop? Like Brian Waters not hold back, right? Like, let's get a fucking stop defense for once. Okay, so we saw something similar with with the recent Chiefs, you know, in, in 2018, and that, you know, fucking defense, mm-hmm. and the offense was great. But then they fired Bob Sutton. Right. Spags comes in, they win it. So it was, it's you know, it was there's personnel bases. Well, they had to bring in Tyron Matthew and Frank yeah, Clark, right. but history will will point at Bob Sutton and, and blame him. That's just how it goes. Yeah. Was it personnel based? Was Greg Robinson was the defensive coordinator? Like, why did that defense suck? I think early on it was personnel based. Okay, so in two thousand two, we had some aging guys. Right, looking back on it, so Marcus Patton was still the middle linebacker. Right, was a great player here. Um, Maslowski was good. Okay, yeah, Marcus Patton was fucking thirty five. Yeah. Lou Bush. Well, how old was Lou Bush? He was in his 30s. Okay. Lou Bush is 33. Okay. Lou Bush, 33. Glenn Cadrez. Let's see. Jason Belzer was 32. Yeah, Belzer. Um, they were old <laughs> by NFL standards. Crockett. Crockett. Well, how old was Crock? Well, see, I'm, I'm looking at 2002 right now because they went out and, and spent some money. Before two thousand three, yes, and tried to, but I'm I'm just looking like it. How it, yeah, I'm saying two thousand. So Ray Ray Crock was fucking thirty five. Yes, yeah. So like my my two thousand two. I know you're looking at two thousand three, right? But I'm saying two thousand two, right? No, no. And I, I'm looking at Dwayne. Clem, I remember. Uh, yeah, Clem. Dwayne Clemens threatened to murder Whitlock in front of me. That was awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. It was you know different. Yeah, it was, remember Whitlock's grades at the end of yes, the year. Yeah, and so when he, the when he the was, great white hype fizzled out faster was, than whatever else. Too. Yeah, I know. Screaming at Whitlock one day in the locker room because <laughs> Whitlock gave him like a D whatever. He goes, I. I will fucking kill you. I will murder you. Going, no, no. Anyway, um, so we have to get you still got some time. We good to, to oh, yeah, I'm good. Okay, I'm so, good. I'm just making sure. All right, so I, I I'm, I'm good because okay, I want to get into a couple things here. And so you you mentioned some of the okay, so I'll, I'll talk about some of the defense. Scott, okay, so 2003, Scott Fujita, yes, they brought in Sean Barber, yes, that was a big addition in the offseason. Uh, they they brought in um. When did when 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 did you bring in? When was Kendrell Bell? When was okay? That? So I'm glad you brought this up because I was thinking this through my head. Right when you start talking about personnel, was Von, it Vonnie Holiday? Was Vonnie Holiday? Vonnie Holiday. Here we go. Who had three sacks like the first game on the roster and then just fizzled out? Right. And I'm looking at so then 2003, some of the defensive players on the team. Scott Fujita, Sean Barber, Greg Wesley, uh, Jerome Woods, Warfield, Barty, uh, yeah, Eric Hicks, yeah. I mean, there were there was Eric Downing. Feels like, was there there was some talent there? Wasn't there, there? There was some talent there at that point. The year before in 02, we were just old, okay, defensively, right. And Greg Robinson was very headstrong about he was going to play this. You know, he was. I will say this. If you were an offensive guy, you knew on third down that Greg Robinson was bringing the fucking house every single time. Yeah, and Bell right? didn't come in for another year or two. Yeah. but, but Which they, also, that was a singular, one of the worst acquisitions ever was Kendra Bell. Yeah. There and was, it pushed out a good player in Scott Fujita, who went on, went on to have a nice career. Fujita was fucking, I loved Fujita. Yeah, oh, 100%. He was in the same, we were rookies together in 02. Real smart player and a really good player. And 
This is one of the first times that I've seen a, you know, a personnel decision made where all of a sudden we get out on the field in the offseason program and guys are looking around going, what the fuck are we doing? Wasn't Kendra, I don't know, was he, wasn't he kind of a dick too? I mean, it, just, it didn't seem like... He always seemed really quiet to me, but he also seemed really, really dense. Like, just not oh boy. smart. And Fujita was brilliant. Yes. But it was one of those... Again, this is one of the first acquisitions or free agent deals that I saw internally on a team where the team was looking around going, why are we starting him over Fajita right now? But it now? seemed like Vonnie Holiday, too, was he was good before he was with yeah. the Chiefs, and then he was good after. It was like he was misused. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, no, I think there was a lot of that. I really do. Like, I think, you know, that's why I say in some situations with our defense there wasn't true dissension in the locker room because I think a lot of it knew you knew a part of it was it's the scheme of what Greg Robinson's going to do. And some of our defensive guys, knowing that they sucked, not themselves, but knowing the defense, they'd look at it and go, we can only do so much because and we're trying. He's putting us out on the island at corner when I can't cover this dude. Everybody knows I can't. And like, there, was in some, a sense. there was some corny shit going on, too. I remember uh, – The beaver? Remember, remember the, the beaver? beaver? Oh, God. It's fucking Greg Robinson had this stuffed beaver. So they watched – Okay, so and here's fucking, the, He has a stuffed beaver, right, yes, on the fucking yes. sideline. Here's the backstory on that. So – they watched this National Geographic video in the defensive room, okay, oh. about beavers and how about their work ethic. Are you sure right? it wasn't another film about no, beavers? No, I know for a fact that's, that's what it was. Okay. And working to, like, you know, build the dams that they do and how hard it takes to do all these things. So, number one, the players all were like, again, you're dealing with professional athletes here. You're not dealing with high schoolers, right? So, guys, some guys will look at it and go, okay, I get this. And a lot of guys are sitting there going, this is fucking stupid, right? Like, we get to San Diego to play a game. He's the hardest working fucking animal. Yeah. That's he wanted his defense yes. to be. Yeah. We get to San Diego and we get like a turnover or something happens on the defense and on the offense. We're like, sweet, all right, we're getting ready to go back on the field. And he pulls this beaver, stuffed beaver, out of like a bag or something and like throws it to Warfield who got a pick or throws it to Greg or somebody. And I was like. How, how was that received? Everybody was like, what are we, what, what is going on He's here? He's tossing this fucking stuffed beaver around. Yeah. Right, was, yeah, so that was that was one of the corniest things I've seen. I ever. liked it, kind of. I mean, just from a vantage yes, point of yes, making I'm fun sure. of the fucking defense and stuff, Beaver or whatever. Maybe he was a trendsetter, like you know, now with the turnover chains and all that kind of stuff. You mentioned this, so uh, so what was your reaction when Whitlock called you the Great White Hype? Uh, Be honest, you you <clears> get mad? Were you fucking pissed off? No, I didn't get mad about it. It's it's just. It's always funny to me, okay? When I say funny, um, that all white guys get compared to other white guys. Right. Right? There's no other comparison. So, like, when I got here, I was like, oh, he's there's the next Sean LaChapelle, right? That was, like, that was the thing. And let me tell you something. You know, because... <laughs> sure. You know what I'm getting at, though. Like, that's... No, that's, that's yeah. For someone that did... Dick for this organization. There were I, there would be Sean LaChapelle fucking jerseys yes, in that stadium. Yes, yes. right. Yeah. And oh, hundred so, percent. Yeah, and I also think that the color of my skin, okay, was a, another reason why people loved me here, right? Or were fans of mine. Now, did I produce the first year? And everybody's like, okay, here's the next new thing. Whatever, great. But I was a kid from Nebraska, right? Kind of Midwestern. Obviously, you threw a whole part of that and relate to some people, right? Just because of the color Chief of my skin. Kingdom, baby. Just the color of my skin. Right. Now, that being said, 
I didn't care what Whitlock said on stuff um, about calling me the great white hype because it's in my experience, uh, even in, you know, the CFL and different things, like you always start get compared to guys. It's not about, you know, who you actually look like as a player, even though it actually is because they're looking at the color of your skin. They're comparing you to all their white guys. When I was in Green Bay in 06, there was a guy that came and did an article about all the white receivers in the National Football League, right? And how we all knew each other. Now we didn't really know each other, okay? Yeah, like 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 But club, it was like yeah, meetings in the It was season. yeah, it was almost like he was alluding to the fact that we were like in our own fraternity, right? Yeah. Type of thing. Now, did you pay attention to Drew Bennett in Tennessee doing his stuff or Brian Finneran in Atlanta at the time, right? Myself like Wes Welker um, Tim Dwight was still around, different body types, right? But y- the point is you all got lumped together, right, on stuff. Yeah, I guess you did. But I, I don't – it's it's always been amazing to me, like, you know, when you start – now you start looking at guys like Cooper Cup, right, or um, what's his face in, in, in Las Vegas now? Um, Hunter Renfro. Hunter Renfro, or those types of guys that – Everybody's like, okay, well, he's a great route runner, right? right. Like, Cooper Cup is fucking fast, <laughs> okay? But they don't assume that you're fast. Like, I, you would, it, it would amaze you how many times that I played games at the professional level, whether it be in the CFL or the NFL, where I'd run a route on stuff, and all of a sudden the corner looks at me and is like, man, you fucking fast, white boy. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, Oh, you can run. Oh, yeah, I can. You know, um, that happens all the time. Okay, so and, and, and so so you you're, you had a, a a really good rookie year with eight mm-hmm. touchdowns, and then in in two thousand and three, um, you, you you not you great didn't have not great, no, but not it was a, a great year for the team. Yes, yes, yes. Right, and so yeah. how is that difficult to balance? You're not having a great year, but the team. No, it wasn't. Um, because the team is having a great year. Yeah. I'll tell you what happened with me. I got off to a slow start in 03, and that was my own fault because I came in the off season, and I say this because this is the most cliche thing ever, right? Of I was in the best shape of my life yeah. coming into the off season program. Because I had it in me after what I did the first year, kind of coming on the scenes that number one, I need to prove this wasn't a fluke. And number two, I was proven that you guys just are paying Johnny Morton $5 million a year to be a wide receiver, and I can outproduce his ass. And, and was, I should be starting. But there was hype about you in the offseason. Oh, yeah. Oh, there was. The season oh, there strong. Were. oh, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I came in with that mentality. Work hard in the offseason. Work hard through training camps. All that kind of stuff. And I did. And then I got to, you know, we draft Chris Wilson in the second round. Okay. Tight end. And we get to training camp. His hands were compared to Larry Fitzgerald. Yes, yes, by someone. yes. And in his defense, he had a great training camp. I'm not – and he could have been a, a a good part of our offense. But all of a sudden, he took away a lot of the slot routes that I went ran the year before. And, you know, I talked to Charlie Jordan, my receivers coach, about this, and he's like, Bo, he's like, I told him – he said, I didn't tell him not to draft a guy, but I was like, why are we putting him here when Bo can do this exact same thing? And he's already here. And I was pissed because I wanted to start. And I felt I deserved it. I led the team, I think, in the receiving in the preseason that year. Felt I had done everything I could do, and I'm getting screwed here. When the reality of the situation was nobody really talked to me about this and said, hey, you are more valuable 
as our number four wide receiver or number three wide receiver playing special teams because you're a force on special teams and because you know every single position. So that if one of these guys goes down, we can plug and play you and not have so a drop So it affected off. your attitude, though. It affected me internally, yeah, my attitude and my mental headspace, especially early in the season. I had to mature a little bit and figure that out, right? And once I figured it out, I was all right. But it was it's – I don't want to use a baseball analogy here, but it's like a guy that should be in the lineup every day, right? But he's not. And so then all of a sudden when he gets in the lineup, you're like pressing at the plate mm-hmm. because you're like, okay, I know I deserve to be here. A lot of people think I should be doing this too. I should be in this lineup. And so now you press and now you just don't go play. And you start, you know, worrying about I got to catch every single ball. I got to do all these different things instead of just going and playing and doing the natural stuff that you know how to do. So that affected me mentally on that piece, but it didn't affect me. Um, way, the way our team was going on things for the season because we had a great run and great ride. Okay, so you, you end up in the playoffs. You're one of the favorites to go to the Super Bowl. you got this fucking defense that can't stop anybody. Mm-hmm. And you have the no-punt game against the <laughs> yeah. Colts. Yeah. I want you again to be honest with me. Was there any point ever during that game or after the game you're thinking, fuck, I should have signed with the Colts. Ah, damn it. Not right after that game, um, but I'd be lying to you if the thought didn't go through my head, right. you know, because you look at, you watch games around the league no matter what, right? You're watching game tape, you're watching all this stuff, and at that time, Brandon Stokely had come over from Baltimore to, to Indianapolis a couple of years, right, around that time frame. So now you're sitting around after the after the year in 03, and you're looking at I'm pretty sure Stokely was on the team then at 03. And you're sitting there looking at it and going, man, that could have been me, right? Look at all the targets he's getting. Look at all the stuff that's going on. You're you not human if you don't. So what about that game, though? Was there, what was that locker room like after the playoff loss? The defense couldn't fucking get one stop. I know Priest Holmes did have a fumble, but it was yeah. one of the ones that happened, then that was it because you guys literally had to score – Every, Every possession, possession, or you wouldn't get a, and one of them was a touchdown, right, on a kickoff return from Dante. That been, was that, was there some bullshit going on in the locker room after that game? That I mean, that was because the shit hits the that, There was a lot of pissed off dudes in that locker room, and I think also there was just a lot of disappointment, right, right. where everybody's just like shocked, like how could this happen, right? We went thirteen and three, but you look back at it, Stephen, and you sit there and look at it and go, we were shit in December. We went up to Minnesota and lost. We lost like three out of our. We had three losses. We lost. We lost two out of our last four. Well, you, I think start, it was. you started off nine and zero, and you finished thirteen and three. Yeah, yeah. We were not good down the stretch, and I'll tell you why is because we we were a veteran team, and coming into that year, a lot was made of this is you know Vermeil's third year, and it was the third year with the Rams when they won the Super Bowl and everything else. We played. The Hall of Fame game that year, like a quarter of it before the storm came in, but that meant we reported to training camp a week or two earlier than everybody else. We were tired. We were dead down the stretch. So I think there's a lot of animosity of how we were treated as players. When I say that, like our practice habits, still putting full pads on down the stretch, you know, different stuff with our veteran team. But then also our defense – you sit back and look at it and look at that defense and go like this. If we just get a couple stops here or there, we win this game. But no, let's go back to so did Vermeil wore you guys the fuck out. I think we were worn out. Yeah. Did anyone go to him and say, hey, you're fucking us up here? 
No. I, I mean, I'm sure – I think a few people probably had the discussions in the background, but at that point – I'll say this, though. At that point, we were, you know – we were 13 and three, but even in that December, right? Guys were, you could tell guys were banged up. Guys were, we needed to back off a little bit, right? Just to rest. But it was also that time in 2003 where there still wasn't enough of that out there, right? Where coaches understood through performance and different things, especially, was, yeah. especially a, a coaching staff of his nature, right? Of stuff that they knew one way to do it. And that was it. And that was, was going to be the school. way. Yeah, yeah. That was the way it was going to be. And I also don't think anybody really wanted to rock the boat. I know there was discussions that were had in the locker room about having guys go talk to him about this stuff. But I don't think people wanted to rock the boat because we were still in a position where we were going to be in the playoffs and host a home, home playoff game. It was like, hey, why would we rock the boat right now? We'll did get you, it done. Did you like playing for Vermeil? Oh, I loved it. I really did. Now, looking back on it, like all the rules have changed now, right, right. in terms of training camp. So everything would be different no matter what. But I, I did love playing for him. And the reason I say that is he – you know, I still played in a time in the early 2000s where you still didn't know much different about just working your ass off, right? Because I grew up in that time in the 90s with football coaches screaming at you, sweating like crazy in the hot summer, you know, all that kind of stuff. But as you got more veteran and as you learned some of those things, you look back on that and say, wow, this was crazy with some of the stuff we did. But I love playing for him. And the reason I say that is because he genuinely cared for you and your family as a person. And to a fault with guys on the personnel side, right? There were yep. guys and, – and he will tell you that also. He would tell you that also. But there are guys that were good players that either had issues or, you know, he just loved them too much to let them go. And that's the hard part about this business <laughs> and professional sports is you got to make hard decisions sometimes. And you can still love the person and love the player and everything else, but you got to make those decisions sometimes. And – that's the the thing, but I, I loved playing for him because you knew – you also knew what you were getting from him from an authenticity standpoint, right? Like he had – like any coach, had guys that were favorites of his. But if you bought into what he was doing and what he wanted to do, I mean, you would play with him for a long time. And he will do anything for you as a player and post-player. Did you, did you get along with Tony Gonzalez? I did, yeah. I did. I got along with TG. I mean, there was like him and Rofe, Priest Holmes, and that was so, a superstar laden offense. I want to go back and just say this too: like how lucky I was to play when I did here, right? So we talked about me taking, you know, you think you should have went to Indianapolis. I think about that all the time, right? right? Especially now with what Peyton Manning's career has been. I look at well, what what could I have been with him the whole time if I had earned his trust or got in the middle, you know as a slot receiver for him, when I had a lot more opportunities. Probably, selfishly, I would have. Yeah, absolutely. But I look back on my time in Kansas City, I don't regret my decision to take less money at the time to come here than, you know, um, or anything. But I look back on the Hall of Famers, right? Will Shields, Willie Rofe, now Coach Vermeil, right? Tony Gonzalez, Morton Anderson was here, right, for Hilbert's. Five Hall of Fame guys that I was a part of and got to play with here in Kansas City. Priest, uh, I don't think he'll get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame because it's hard for running backs to do that now on stuff, but certainly that caliber of player. I played with five Hall of Fame people. Man, that's kick fucking ass. I mean, you think about it, you know? I mean, you mentioned anyone on the defense. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, so <laughs> that's a fair point. So then, hey, yeah, there we go. There's, there, the there's, there, there's, there's, there's a reason right there. Right. So then, how, so how did things end up with you and the Chiefs then? So, um, 04, I tore my ACL, missed the whole year, tore my ACL in 04 uh, in the preseason. Rehab that, came back in 05, uh, was inactive for a few games, but I played and stuff. And so now I'm an unrestricted free agent going into 06. Um, took a visit to Tampa Bay with John Gruden, um, which was an interesting piece. That'll be for another time. We can talk about that visit. Um, on things, uh, I took a visit to Green Bay. Did I take any others that year? I don't think I took any others that year. I think I just went to Tampa first, and then Green Bay wanted to sign me, okay, as a free agent. So we get the deal done, and the Chiefs took the – this is, of course, Vermeil's retired now, Herm's in. And this is a classic Carl Peterson negotiating tool of go ahead and go we, – we'd like to have you back, but go ahead and go out and test the market and see what's out Did there. Did you like Carl? I didn't mind Carl. I really didn't. He's arrogant as all get out. Everybody knows that. That's not that's not a direct revelation to anybody, you know. I always tell people Carl Peterson was starting a negotiation of if the minimum salary is five hundred thousand dollars, he's gonna offer you four hundred to start, right? Like that's how and you're like, this is stupid. Let's just get to a spot where we need to be. But I know there's a lot of people that didn't like him, for sure. I had some run ins with him, like when I hurt my knee, you know, he was pissed that I went outside the organization to get it done. Um to have it worked on and it was just about a comfortability piece and what was in my right within the cba to get a second opinion on things um but i i don't have any qualms with with carl or didn't you know obviously at the time and stuff who didn't like him i think there's a lot of guys john tate didn't like him you know we know that right (laughs) we know that Uh there was never let's just put it this way there was never an easy negotiation with carl peterson Right. Fuck no. And most negotiations aren't always easy either, but there was never a real, true, easy negotiation with him. The other thing, um, where was I going with this now? Are you talking about visiting other teams? Oh, yeah. So visiting other teams. So I go to Green Bay. Green Bay wants to sign. Yeah. This is for full circle. I'm sitting at the airport in Kansas City, right, waiting for my flight to go to Green Bay. And as I'm sitting there, I get a call from Lynn Stiles. As I'm sitting there, I get a call from Carl Peterson. Like, why are you going to sign in Green Bay? You never called us back. Like, you know, we would like to still have you here, potentially. Let's talk about this. I'm like, this deal's already done. I'm going to Green Bay. So I went to Green Bay. Um, Aaron Rodgers, second year as a player. Brett, still the quarterback. Go through their their whole offseason program. Things are going well. Preseason's going okay. But I get released after the second preseason game. Um, At like 10 o'clock in the morning. By like five o'clock in the afternoon, I already have a job with Indianapolis, and so I get on a flight six a.m. the next morning and fly to Indy. So now I'm on the quarterback tour, <laughs> right? I'm on the Hall of Fame quarterback tour now. Brett Favre. I go to Indy. I'm there for a couple weeks through the preseason with them. I get cut at the end because I was a vested veteran. If I make the opening day roster, my salary is guaranteed for the year. They say this to a lot of guys. This happens all the time around the league. But hey, we'd still like to have you come back. But I was going to come back and play special teams potentially for them. And they had a couple of defensive backs that got hurt in like the first two weeks of the season that year. And so then I knew I was screwed. Then later on in the year, they brought Ricky Prohl in um, to be a wide receiver late in his career. That was the year they went, and went on and won the Super Bowl. Um, Motherfucker. They, I know, exactly. But 
but it was good. And then at that point too, also in 06, I was like, I knew the CFL was always still an option for me to potentially go back. So I took some visits and Vermeil helped me with a lot of this. And when I say that, like Tom Coughlin was the head coach of the Giants at the time, right? I went and worked out for the Giants a couple of times. Some of these are the good old boys saying, hey, you should go look at this guy in case something happens down the stretch. I call that the preventable tour, right? Like you're 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 coming in on Tuesdays to work out for these teams or a Monday after a game, and you're there the preventable tour because it's like, hey, we're if something happens, <laughs> you right. know, hopefully we're, we we <laughs> prevent you from actually coming in here. But if something happens, like these are the guys we need to look at or potential options for us. Mm-hmm. So I, I did several of those that year, and then around December, I knew it wasn't going to happen, so I'd signed back in Calgary. Went back to Calgary to play for one more year. Was there for half the year, got released, and then I went to Toronto and finished the year in Toronto. And after eight years of, you know, essentially playing pro ball, looked at it and said, I'm 30 years old. I'm still walking upright. I've had a couple of concussions, only one major knee injury, right? And then, you know, I could still keep playing here, but it's been a nice fucking run. Like, right. what, what's the, you know, what could happen to my body further? A lot of things. And you know what? Let's just go ahead and call it quits and walk away but you're good physically yeah physically i'm good i mean lingering i mean my knee hurts from time to time right, right. now right my back does like part of that's come overweight from where i need to be but it's it's old athlete problems right there's nothing you know i've had several concussions in my life there's been you know there's times where i think that does affect some of the stuff i do but for the most part uh, knock on wood, I'm 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 pretty good right now. So then, bring it full circle. Tell people, obviously, you're on eight ten yeah. on a regular basis. So, but what's life like for Mark Bowerbaker now? Well, life's good, man. Life is good. Uh, I've been back in Kansas City since 2008, right? Um, in that time frame, uh, got divorced in the middle of that in 2012. Uh, I've got two kids from that marriage. Uh, my daughter now officially of this week is a senior in high school oh congratulations yeah thanks um no you've been through that and, so good, good, and good luck for the next fucking year yes it's yes. gonna be a lot of money yes so and and hopefully uh it will not be uh you know something that uh will drive you fucking crazy because i have 13 year old daughters and yes. they make me fucking cry sometimes yes so, yes so you know uh, hey. she's now a senior blue valley southwest as of this week and uh, my son's an eighth grader at Aubrey Bench, and he's 13. And daughter's an athlete? Daughter plays a little bit of volleyball, yeah. yeah. We'll see if she plays this year, but has grown up playing volleyball. And then my son plays football and baseball. Right. And then I got remarried, of course, to my wife, Brittany, who you know really well. Um, Lee Summit High School the volleyball Lee Summit coach. High School new volleyball head volleyball coach. Um, and owns, she owns a volleyball club here in town called Legacy Juniors. Had that now for, I think we're going on year five. Uh, so there's not a... Just a couple of weeks ago, we had a weekend where we didn't have a baseball tournament and we had no volleyball stuff for a weekend, like not even a single day. And you just kind of sit around and look at each other like, what the hell are we supposed to do? Because we are yeah. always I'm do, doing stuff here, obviously, at the station. Um, I work as an account executive at Huddle uh, with the territory in North Texas, which is a new exciting endeavor for me right now. And I'm also still broadcasting some high school and college football games as a color commentator So, uh, in the fall. So there's a lot going on. Um, I wouldn't have it any other way, though, man. I would not have it any other way. Before we wrap it up, what the fuck happened with Gruden on the visit? You can't, you can't just say to you to tell me later. He's just a what did char- he do? He's just a character, man. Like, I walked in, and he's like, there he is. Yeah. There's a fucking guy. And I'm like, 
I'm like, whatever, dude. Like, come on. I'm in here in the third week of free agency, not the first week, right? right? Like, type of deal. Like, come on. Like, and we sat in there, and he was like, you know, I need a good fucking flanker receiver. Because people accuse me of hating fucking rookies. And I don't fucking hate rookies. I just hate fucking rookies because they're stupid. Right. And he was like, Michael Clayton was a good flankers for sure. He was a shitty fucking flanker last year. Right. And you're thinking, what the fuck is this guy talking yeah, about? Yeah, and just, you know, and he's also one of those guys, that's why I'm in here at 3 o'clock every fucking morning trying to figure this shit out. And part of me is like, you don't need to be in here at 3 o'clock. Right. Morning. So you decided that wasn't the place for you, maybe. Yeah, they offered me a minimum salary deal that day. I was there, um, which is like a 30, at the time, but the minimum salary deal was like a 30000 dollar signing bonus they have to give you right on stuff um and that was the first visit i took that year and i was just like i I, if that the offer still stood for me to go there so it wasn't like hey take this or leave it type of thing but i was like i'm gonna take a few other visits and see what else you gotta come to Tampa bay yeah mark yeah that was before they had their new facility they were just building it they were literally operating out trailers still at the practice facility and stuff um luke mccown was the quarterback that threw to me at the time down there? Right, so so. Bef- before we let you go, you sure there was no there's no locker room fights in o two or three? You want to tell me about? Anyone's, no, anyway, I, you know what? Slap the shit out no, of each other. Or well, you know Come this on. one because you witnessed it. the The most division I ever saw in our locker room was in that o two or o three. The Eddie Freeman incident with the helmet and John Tate. <laughs> That almost everybody saw that was at River Falls, witnessed it, and okay. saw it happen. So for people that didn't see it, well, this will be the this will be the, okay. the show closer. What yes. the fuck happened here? So Eddie Freeman was a rookie that year. Well, I think it was his first year, wasn't it? Or was it in 03 that it happened? I'm trying to remember now. Nah, I'm too fucking old. I'm anyway, not, Eddie yeah. Freeman, defensive lineman, second round pick. John right. Tate, offensive tackle. And get into a typical kind of skirmish during training camp, right? Three weeks in. You know, frustrations boil over. Guys have hands on each other's face masks, whatever, pushing and shoving. And John Tate's helmet comes off, and Eddie Freeman has it in his hand. And River Falls could be miserable. Yes, and yes. the fucking work you guys are fucking putting Yes. In. And so all of a sudden, they're still John and kind of pushing back and forth, and Eddie Freeman decides to completely throw a haymaker, roundhouse, <laughs> over the top, and hit John Tate right above his eye. With his own helmet. Fuck. And to this day, I have never heard a sound like that in my life when it happened. Because I thought he could have killed the man. Fuck but yeah. It wasn't just, hey, like, it wasn't like one of those hockey fights, you know, where you see guys with a glove shoving him in your he face. He swung like, this thing like a oh, fucking weapon. Oh, yeah. And just. And he got him good. Oh, yeah. And it, I mean, John still has, if you see him today, still has a knot, right? from Because of it all calcifying and stuff. Yeah. yeah. But just, I mean. And nothing happened to Eddie Freeman. I think they just find him or something. But like right out there, then what are you doing? What happens right when he when John? Well, gets hit first of all, we're all in disbelief on the shit. Of course, then now it boils over to other guys because That's it's like right. nobody else is you know getting into this mix. But after it all happens, you know, Vermeil, we have a team meeting, you know, about stuff like we can't be doing this shit to each other. Blah blah blah. Right? Oh, okay. All right, no more skirmishes. You know, whatever. But you know, we want to do nothing. When like we had joint practices with Vikings, you're almost like, hey. It's almost like a hockey thing. Let's, you want to throw down? Let's throw yeah. down here to get out of his practice, right? Like when we practice against the Vikings and did some of that shit. Brock Lesnar. Yeah. Oh, guy. When he got his ass kicked by one of our undrafted free agents. Were you up there for Oh, that? yeah. 
Oh yeah, I was why, there. Why'd you want to say something about Brock Lesnar? Well, you never asked fucked. me about it. Well, how about Brock Lesnar getting fucked up? Yeah, Brock Lesnar <laughs> got his ass kicked. There's been some articles recently I saw where they talked about him, or somebody was talking about him somewhere about him, like you know, body slamming a guy or whatever else. And I was like, yeah, that did happen, but it's because he got his ass kicked. Who did he body slam? I don't remember. There's a we had a center named Jonathan Ingram who's a backup okay, center, yeah. yeah, who who absolutely pancaked his ass and rolled him over a couple of times. And I can't remember. I'll have to find it. Somebody who, somebody was talking about it just a while back. On who this. beat his ass? Well, Jonathan Ingram kicked his ass. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. We had a couple of backup offensive linemen that kicked his ass. Kevin Sampson was another one, I think, here then. Tackle. Uh, Syracuse, big neck roll. Right. We had some dudes, Brian Waters and those guys, oh, put see, it to him. You, would, you didn't want to fuck with Brian Waters. Oh, no, no. That was the strongest was, Chiefs player I've ever heard of. That dude was sneaky, sneaky else, right? strong, yeah. And so then you, uh, going back to John Tate getting Oh, yeah, so we have a team head. meeting. We got a team meeting, right? And Coach Ramil's like, yeah, we can't be doing this to each other, mm-hmm. right? And so that's all it kind of says. And I remember somebody's like, so what's going to happen? Right. I can't remember who it was, but somebody asked, like, out loud, so what's happening with it? Like, what's going to happen? And he's like, "Oh, we're going to find him. That'll be we're just, we're finding him." And it's like, "All right, so let's break up." Right to our position meetings, and I remember thinking, "Well, this isn't going to be good, right? Like, this is not going to be good." There are guys here right now that want to kill Eddie Freeman. Right. There are guys right now that want to, like, don't want to go practice because this is bullshit. Like, this just happened. It wasn't like they just threw some punches at each other. He used a helmet as a weapon and could have killed the man or ended his career. And this is all that's happening. And all they did was find him. Because the one time I think really in that locker, there were a lot of guys divided. And there were a lot of guys on the defensive side that certainly sided with John Tate on this whole deal just based on what happened. They should have suspended him or did something. They did nothing of the sort. If you go back in time, is there a teammate that you wish you could go back and fucking hit in the mouth or something like that? Just one good smack or something. Come on. Just flat out. Just good. Just fucking. Okay, Ahmad Carroll, who was a corner in Green Bay. Yeah. Okay. Just an absolute dick at practice. Right. He'd like walk by and like stomp on your toe or something. Just to be a fucking asshole. Just to be a dick. Yeah. Why? I don't know. It was just who he was. That's the one guy I can think of. You like to go back there and punch him in the mouth. That's the one guy I could think of that was a teammate of mine, and he wasn't a teammate for that long. Nobody with a cheese. Because I I don't consider myself. You know this, but I don't consider myself that I played for Green Bay. Right, you're a chief. I consider myself, and and this is what this this is my own personal beef with people in the, in the league. We're like, oh yeah, he played with Green Bay and Indianapolis. Like, I played some preseason games with them, but I didn't play with them. No. Right, you got to be on the active roster. You got to be make the fifty three. Then you can say you played. Like, uh, oh, this guy. I know. I know. You know what I'm thinking, don't you? I don't. Know. The fucking guy. From the what's the fucking show on Netflix? Uh, the the fucking the Jason Brown, the fucking community, the the JUCO coach oh, on the God, Netflix yeah. series. What the fuck's the name of that series? From Last Chance You. Last Chance You. You mean my and, friend, and, and like he, my good buddy Jason Brown, who Jason when Brown, I called him out on like when he it, he was the guy on Last Chance You, as a head coach, yeah, Indianapolis or the, Independence Community College, right? That was telling everyone yes. he was a quarterback and he, and he was quarterback with the Chiefs, and they took his team on a tour. Of Arrowhead, yes, yes. and they show a picture of Priest Holmes, and one of the players goes, well, "You, you, you played with Priest, and, and you could almost see him fucking lying." He goes, "Yeah, 
Or he said you were here then. Yeah, he was like, yeah. He was like, yeah. I was here. Priest, Priest, and LJ. That's what he said. Priest and LJ. LJ too. Did and I. So then I. And then you go on Twitter. And what did you say? Well, first of all, okay, first of all, this fucking guy said no. he's on Twitter still. Yeah, you, you oh, see yeah. him? Oh, he blocked me. Oh, oh I completely blocked. Well, you need to fucking see. I, I'll let you fucking look. He. Well, I've seen his stuff. I've, right. I've seen the slapdick shit and all that. But stuff did he? But, but he. he was, so because I don't remember backstory. Here. He was a JUCO guy. Okay, he played at at Fort Hayes State. Right, okay? he played at Fort Hayes. And even on the show, he was bragging about how he's the all-time leading passer in four days history and all these different things, which at one point he was, okay? okay? All right. But since the show had been on, there were like two other guys that passed him up. That's beside the point. But the, my point is you can go find all this anyway. But then I saw him taking the tour of Arrowhead, and he had talked about being with the Chiefs right. previously. And I was like, this guy did not play for the Chiefs. <laughs> I was there. And I would you, know. And you couldn't fucking let it go. And you got on and, Well, and then it was the point where, yeah, he started talking about was it. Was he here or not? No. So, okay. So here's where he was here. Okay. I asked the question of Pete Morris, who you know, Pete Morris, right. right? I reached out to Pete Morris. before Formerly media relations with the. Correct. Then he was at Oklahoma. And now he's at Virginia right. Tech. Yeah. Okay. I reached out to Pete Morris, who's part of the original Breakfast Club with Trent Green and myself. We used to eat breakfast every morning because right. I was smart, eat with my quarterback, right? There you go. See? There you go. Um, so I reached out to Pete when this all happened. I said, hey, Pete, if this guy, do you remember him? Because he was in media relations, and those guys know pretty much everybody, right? You're or fucking, they would remember. You're really t- – you want to fucking oh, well, Because I'm like, this is complete bullshit. Like, complete bullshit. And it's because he said when he was taking his team on the tour, they were like, you were here in 03. He's like, oh, yeah, I played with Priest and with, and with LJ, too. I, just, I thought you did this out of memory. You're fucking really no, – you're, well, you're fact-checking no, this on, fucking guy. On. I I did it out of memory. I was verifying to double check that I didn't miss anything. Okay? Just, because we were watching. Here's the, thing, the other thing. I'm thinking, he oh, yeah. for the Chiefs. The fuck here's the talking? other thing. Okay, don't tell me you were a quarterback and played for the Chiefs when I'm a wide receiver and I fucking know who I caught passes from in minicamp and other things. Right? So what, did, what did he do? So he was here as a free agent tryout. Okay. He came here as a free agent tryout with like, you know, they bring all these, some of these small school guys yeah, in sure. and stuff. It wasn't even, and they didn't even have rookie, that rookie. So like a couple of weeks ago, right? The Chiefs bringing, we had the rookie mini camp right. here. All the draft picks, a bunch of the ambassador guys and I came up, big rookie dinner, introduce us all to them, get an opportunity to meet all the rookies. But there's like 50, 60 guys there, right? They had 12, 11 draft picks and some undrafted free agents. But a lot of these guys are here on a tryout basis, right? right? The Chiefs didn't have that kind of thing where they brought the rookies in and did that the same way. They would just bring – we didn't when I was here with Vermeil, which is at this time, all the rookies just came at the same time for rookie camp, for minicamp. They didn't have a rookie minicamp. But they did have a couple days. It was like a Saturday that they have a rookie tryout deal where these undrafted guys would come in. A lot of them are small school guys, local guys, et cetera. <laughs> And they try him out. That's what he was here for. So he tried out for. He a wasn't day. even here for a full mini camp. <laughs> he tried out, and so then on on last chance you, because he was there, and they hey, we you played. Well, and the, the part yeah. that killed me about it was like <laughs> I said, you know, actually how I consider actually playing. Like in his bio for the school and all this other stuff, it's like he's 
played for the Kansas City Chiefs and played, spent time here. I'm like, you didn't spend any time here. You spent 24 hours here. And you, you were not going to let that go. Oh, and then when I called him out is when so, I got blocked because so he didn't want happened, anybody. What happened on Twitter then? You got on Twitter. Well, I got on a Twitter spat back and forth with him. Odd what stuff. You, what did you say? I don't even remember now. But you can't just let him. This was back in like 2018. Yeah, when but, I but it was because it was the last year he was I think I think he was talking about the Chiefs and playing there. Somebody asked him. Somebody else, I think, asked him, like, well, there's you're not on any of the rosters right. or something. Because other people were questioning this. Other people were questioning it, yeah. And then I came in and said, yeah, you never played here. And it's on your bio all over the place. And then I think he snapped back at me like, how would I know? And I was like, I would know I was on the roster. And then all these other people started piling on top like, uh, but Richard would know. Like, he played, he was there during that time. And that's a further indictment of him him not knowing that you would know. 100%. 100%. And we had some other, like, again, we had quarterbacks in during mini camps. I got, there was a guy from a rookie year, I think. James Killian was out of Tulsa. Right? I, remember he was, him. He, I remember him. But he was signed. Yeah. He was signed. We didn't have those tryout camp. Those guys did not. We didn't have a this true rookie. Guy, they all came in. There were guys. They, yes, there were guys. guys. I would guys, know. This guy I would got know. fucking mad at you and said, how would you know? Well, <laughs> the other piece with this team. is I was like, okay, there's a white dude from Compton, California yeah, yeah. that talks the way he is as a quarterback, right? You remember? You, oh, remember. you would remember that guy. Right. You would remember that brash personality. And then I, and then I blocked you on Twitter. Yeah. And you just wouldn't let him have his day, would you? You just couldn't let him. Have- I just, I don't know. That's just, I don't know. That's I don't remember it happening. It was more that so shit. that everybody was going at it, and I was like, I just want to call it out. That's good shit. shit. Mark Bowricker, thank you so much for uh, spending so much time with us on the podcast. I feel like we could do a couple more episodes. This ain't your last appearance. Oh, no, I have you know. no, you're not kicking me out of here for I have that, you know. So. I, need, I need more shit. I need more fights and stuff like that. But that's Mark Bowrichter, former Chiefs wide receiver, and he did play for the fucking team because I got stats right here to prove it. All right? (laughs) Until next week, the microphone is off.